This is the Criterion Creeps podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're two chums, angels to some, demons to others, who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. We do it so you don't have to. We're doing it for the pleasure and the pain. This week, we're making Creeps history as we're tackling two movies in one episode. Spines number eight and nine in the Criterion Collection, The Killer from 1989, and Hard Boiled from 1992, both directed by John Woo. But first, RJ, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. I'm doing okay. Um, I was at work today, and uh, I was at the, the cafeteria getting a coffee, and uh, a girl in front of me, she got a coffee, and uh, instead of putting like normal things like coffee or like cream or sugar in it mm-hmm. she put honey in it and coffee? i wanted yeah okay she put honey in black coffee and i wanted to fucking scream because i have no idea what the fuck she was doing and it totally threw off my entire i've been trying to work i've been trying to be productive but every every 10 minutes i go back and i'm thinking what was that lady doing why did she do it that's pretty upsetting stuff so to answer your question, Jerry, I'm not doing fucking good because oh. that lady totally, she ruined my day and probably yeah. my weekend now. So yeah, um, I might just quit the podcast okay. entirely. Well, I think uh, no one would blame you at this point. I mean, that's yeah. just, this is no, no. Like, what? like, have you ever seen that? Have you mm. ever come across something like that? No, that that is a first. I've never heard of that before. It's like tea, honey and tea. Absolutely. Honey yeah. and coffee. No, and but I don't really, like, agree. I don't, I don't agree with like a lot of things that people do with their coffee. Um, like, like their, I don't know things in it. Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I was like, I mean, I guess I did put sugar and coffee uh, in my coffee drinking heyday, which was many mm-hmm. years ago now. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't seem uh, like you're really appreciating like the the body of coffee once you start adding cream and tons of sugar mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's like the uh, like the whole idea of like double doubles, at Tim Hortons and say, stuff. It's all pretty revolting to me. I was gonna say the Tim Hortons crew. Um, and if anyone is familiar with Tim Hortons, I dare you to have a cup of coffee from Tim Hortons and not tell me that uh, it doesn't taste like um, stir fry. It's the weirdest fucking coffee in the world. It just tastes like soy sauce and stir fry. It's disgusting. But you're right. Like <laughs> the people who drink Tim Hortons are like double doubles, like cream sugars. Like it's not even coffee anymore. Yeah. I think there's like, even um, like triple triples out there. Which Oh, uh, actually there's quads or oh, a four by four as some people affectionately call it. Yeah. When you get into that territory, it's something th- totally different. When I was in Argentina, they they have a drink like that where it's like, 80% milk and then 20% coffee as like an after dinner snack. I don't know. That makes more sense, but at least they have the balls to call it what it is. Huh. So anyways, what's the <laughs> man? Um, well, uh, leaving the coffee talk behind, uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, just completed my first uh, week back to work in the education Ooh. world. And uh, today uh, a student asked me, if it was all right, if they took notes in the class. Um, and <laughs> is I, is it I, a remedial class? Uh, um, I, maybe, maybe no one told me this, but, uh, I, I gave the student the okay. Um, well, she, yeah, she seemed, I don't know. It was just bizarre. Maybe she just wanted to make some idle 
chatter or something. I, I'm not sure, but uh, that I just threw me off. I'm like, what, what's going on? <laughs> that now kids feel like they have to ask uh, their uh, technicians in the classroom, who aren't even like the teachers or anything like that. Like, mm-hmm. can can we take notes? And it's like, yep, yeah, you can still do that. I'm pretty sure. That's a that's a post 9/11 world we live in now, Jared. Yeah. Where uh, <laughs> surveillance and uh, Big Brother and chemtrails, people have to ask whether or not they're allowed to do things. It's it's pretty upsetting. Mm-hmm. It, it's also, I think, a, a millennial thing with um, yeah. the school systems now. Like no one's allowed to fail. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. like in uh, in um, primary schools, they're not allowed to give zeros anymore here. So, I mean, I'm not surprised someone asked. Mm-hmm. basically how to live in a class or like how to do anything like they've never been to a school before yeah i guess so or they're coming from some sort of uh dark school uh is this class is it a entry level class like a 1000 or is it like no. a, a two or three it's it's a 3000 level course but it's kind of uh yeah so it's a 3000 level course so it's you you, you can't be so there like, are prereqs to get in there oh yeah yeah you so definitely she's definitely taken one university level course before at least a year's worth of courses yeah yeah so uh, that makes no sense you know what i think was actually happening maybe this uh this girl was giving you the rhubarb. She was trying to, you know, give you some loving. Oh, maybe. Well, she really didn't impress in that field, I guess, mm-hmm. by being really asking dumb questions. That's like, yeah, that's kind of the opposite of uh, uh, rhubarbing. Rhubarb. You know, of if, another man's rhubarb. Yeah. Here. See, when you say that, that's all I think of is uh, Jack Nicholson uh, laying it out there in uh, mm-hmm. Batman. You knew how to seduce the ladies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that mm. that that winning smile. There you go. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. Yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it's been, I mean, just a few days, I guess, since we last recorded. But uh, mm-hmm. RJ, have you managed to creep successfully at all since then? Last time we talked, I mean, it was pretty disappointing on the whole. I actually have some creeping for you this week, what? and it's a well, it is a variety creep show. It is unlike anything we've ever done before. Wow! And uh, by that I mean I watched some dudes uh, pleasure each other in the alley last night behind a pizza. <laughs> I gave it four stars. <laughs> so that's thumbs up. That's like a legit creeping. That is a legit creep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I mean that's life sometimes. Yeah. Dirty Mike and the boys. Yeah. They call that a soup kitchen. <laughs> uh, trademark, uh, uh, whoever that guy was who made that movie. Yeah. Anyways, uh, no, I do actually have some creeping for you. Oh. Um, but not not movies. So I have a second television series creep for you here. And it goes right in, hand in hand with uh, something else I creeped on this week. So um, me and the GF got back into a series this week uh, called Rectify. Have you ever seen Rectify? No, I I think I'm, I've heard of it. Uh, is that Tim Roth? No, no. So, okay. um, oh re- yeah, okay, yeah continue. Okay. I know what you're talking about yeah. now. So, Rectify is a Netflix show, and uh, me and my girlfriend Andrea, we had started watching it when it first came on. Like I think season one went right to Netflix a couple of years ago, and we watched that and fucking absolutely loved it. And then season two was on. Like uh, they got a new deal with Netflix where new episodes are on week by week. It's not all at once, which is kind of refreshing. So we went watch one season one and two uh, a couple of years ago and absolutely loved it. And then just now we got back into uh, season three was on last year. But we've been a little slow because 
my girlfriend gets too depressed watching <laughs> watching each episode so we have to like we can watch one and then we need like a week break before we can get back into it um so we're watching season three now and season four which is the last season starts in a month or two but for anyone not aware the show rectify um made by uh ray mckinnon mm-hmm. I, I believe his name is um you might know him from like he's actually an actor in a lot of stuff uh like he's in take shelter oh brother where art thou mud stuff like that okay but uh so he but he also does some like he di- does directing and writing so he he made this show and it's about a. Uh, it's about a guy who's on the death, uh, like death row in uh, in Georgia, and he's been on there for 19 years, and he gets exonerated by DNA evidence, and he gets released. But uh, so he was convicted when he was 16, and then he spent 19 years in prison, and he comes out. He's like uh, like a 35 year old man, and he doesn't like know how to like just be be a person anymore. He doesn't know how to interact with anybody. And then he's also in the good old boy state of Georgia. So he gets released, but in the small town, everyone's still a little hot-blooded and they don't actually buy that he didn't do it. So he gets harassed by all the townspeople. And then it's him dealing with that and then trying to kind of get back in with his family and just be like a person again. Um, It's fucking amazing. It's one of the best shows on TV uh, I, it's kind of sad because I don't think a lot of people know about it or, um, have even heard about it. Uh, but it's fucking unreal. It's got amazing cinematography. Uh, the acting is great. Um, I think the main guy, his name's like Aiden Smith or something. He's actually a Canadian guy. Uh, I don't remember seeing him in anything else. I'm sure he is, but, uh, he's fantastic. Uh, the show's very real, feels very authentic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, fucking awesome so that's a a big hard recommendation on rectify it's on netflix so if anyone wants just a a solid show it's all there waiting for you yeah and my uh my gf she was watching that um in the last couple of years and like i guess remember like i think it was probably the last episode of the first season because i just remember like a lot of like scenes like in a cemetery and a Mm -hmm. man getting the shit beat out of him i just Mm -hmm. like i kind of vaguely remember that going on but i had no idea what the context of it was um and i think she's caught up on it and she seemed to like it but Mm -hmm. uh when you when i said tim roth i was thinking of lie to me for some reason the expression lie to me and rectify just blur but i mean they're completely different yeah. shows obviously but yeah well you're you're just uh, a nut bar i think is the answer to that i don't yeah. know where you got that one from there's that but uh no yeah that show is fucking awesome uh super good everybody should watch that show five out of five um and actually uh getting back into that had my uh interest peaked here for Ray McKinnon and like I because I knew he was an actor but I, I remember seeing that he created the show I was like hmm I wonder what else he's had a hand in and uh I looked up and he did a short film in 2001 that actually won an Oscar for best short film uh called The Accountant so I watched that recently too it's just 40 minutes long it's him uh playing the aforementioned accountant some other random fucking dude and a young Walt, uh, Walt Goggins. So, which is pretty mm. cool. It's not his first movie I checked, but, uh, he wasn't in, um, much else before that. Like he was, I think he had like six or seven credits, but all low movies except for the Jackie Chan classic Shanghai noon. 
Oh. So he was in that. Um, but uh, he was. So it's these three guys, some random fucking dude, Ray McKinnon and uh, Walt Goggins. And it's about um, like an accountant fixer guy. So uh, he comes to the like this two brothers farm and uh, they're like $100,000 in debt. And he looks at their books and he kind of like figures out a plan for um, like how to play insurance to get like the money back, like burning down the farm or whatever. But it gets a little bit more um, sinister than that. It involves killing off spouses and uh, doing dirty dealings and stuff like that. Uh, it was I thought that was really good, too. It had a lot of great shots. Uh, all the dialogue felt really personal. Um, I don't know if you get what I mean, but like felt real. And uh, Ray McKinnon drinks a lot of PBR in it, so I thought that was funny, too. RJ, but, uh, RJ, I mean, does the R in your name stand for real? Real? I am real. I yeah. keep it real, brother. Brother. Well, well, I guess I know I said that a lot, but I'm talking about <laughs> two shows from the same guy, and yeah. they just they both feel very real. Hmm. So anyways, those are my two creeps well, that uh, As long as you're keeping are, um, it. I'm creeping it real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, rectify solid recommendation. And, uh, if you ever want like a half an hour to just watch something, the accountant by Ray McKinnon, that was pretty good too. So there you go, man. Fantastic. I fit some creeping in for you. Good. Well, we're all glad for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, um, in my creep realm, uh, as I started watching these last week, I decided to continue on because last week I watched Hellraiser 1. And I think after mm-hmm. uh, we recorded, I was like, well, time to watch Hellbound or Hellraiser 2 because that was going to be a rewatch. And then I watched 3 and 4 <laughs> and 5 and 6, 7 and up until about a half hour before now, uh, finished watching eight. Good Lord. Oh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser. How do you Hellraiser. feel? Um, I don't know. I'm glad I did it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a good recommendation. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't get, uh, cause I have, we, I'll be continuing with the uh, William Shatter movies, uh, probably on our next show, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Hellraiser. Hmm. Well, were any uh, of them good? Well, okay. So two in rewatch, uh, I didn't love it as much as the first one, which I kind of felt was going to be the case. Um, like I think I was saying before that uh, I kind of like in my up until in the last couple of years or so, I thought Hellbound was actually better than the first movie. But yeah. upon rewatching the first one, I, I was really blown away by how much it worked for me. Um, and it mm-hmm. seems like actually a lot of people, uh, I started reading other people kind of talking about that first movie and like their recent rewatches of it and like how better, how it's just gotten better. It seems, uh, as time's yeah. gone on, like people start off lukewarm on it. And then every time you kind of revisit it, cause it's got kind of a, a, a nice rewatchability, um, mm-hmm. people just kind of like, yeah, it's better. Yeah. It's not bad. It's pretty good. It's interesting. And then people start going, yeah, no, it's like, it's a really great kind of weird ghost story with S and M ghost everybody's favorite from alternate dimensions yeah um and so i mean hellbound uh just expands on that uh clive barker mythos stuff and um it delivers on lots of really great visuals and like real like crazy gore spots and stuff like that um Mm -hmm. there's some like clunkiness to that movie overall like you can definitely tell that it's a sequel um, like the way that yeah. like, even like the, um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, like they all just feel like sequels, even the really good ones, like say three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then, um, so up to that point, those were the only two Hellraiser movies I'd ever, ever watched. And Mm -hmm. then I watched uh, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, um, which I think last time we talked, you had said you had heard that it was not like pretty good or like kind of not too bad. Well, it's like, there is some really good, again, just like kind of with two, there's some really good gore and, um, really great visuals and sequences, but it's got some like just egregiously stupid shit, like huge, huge chunks of the movie. Um, so, uh, Doug Bradley, uh, reprises his role as pinhead, but he gets to spend like the first two thirds of the movie in a giant concrete slab. And it's all it is, is his head and his head talks to people. Um, and this, this giant stone slab, uh, shoots hooks out of itself and it's, it's eating people to help him get out of this stone slab, which is like all very, like, I don't know. I didn't feel it was very adequately explained how this happened. Yeah. I, I guess like the thing that they bridge over is that I guess at the end of the second movie, um, spoilers, um, uh, that the pinhead demon character and like the human part of uh pinhead have been divided and like i didn't think this was like anything Mm. significant at the end of the second movie but they kind of go with that in the third movie that like now pinhead's untapped like or yeah uh pure evil now but what that basically just means is he makes wise and quips and stuff like uh latter-day freddy krueger does and Mm. it's just like it's, that doesn't sound good. No. Um, and it's, it's it's got, uh, uh, what's her name? Dax from DS9. Uh, she She's like the main character. Okay. Um, and yeah, no, this movie, like Hellraiser 3 has got some of the worst acting I've seen in a movie in a long time. Uh, until until watching some la- later uh, Hellraiser movies. But this one's like, it was like really cr- quite poor. Um, like for the, in the acting department. Again, there's like some really good visuals and whatnot kind of in there. But mm-hmm. not like eh, it's it's quite a step down from two. Okay. Um, and I followed that up with Hellraiser Bloodline, which is mm-hmm. four. And uh, I the movie starts up and it's like got the the same music, the classic uh, Hellraiser score, and mm-hmm. um, then it comes to directed by Alan Smithy, and I just went oh. I forgot that this was because uh, if everyone probably knows this, but Alan Smithy's sort of the uh, non de plume that gets tossed on uh, a movie when a director wants nothing to do with the thing that's being mm-hmm. released. Um, it's, it's usually means that it's been compromised in some significant way by like studio meddling, and the director just has the right to veto that and goes, "Yeah, I just put Alan Smithy on it." Um, and so, because yeah, the guy actually directed was uh, Kevin Yeager, um, who is a special effects guy. This was the only movie he actually directed, but he. He was like he's kind of like that screaming mad George I was talking about, like lurking in the background, working on like lots of like kind of the more high kind of these movies that you just like go, oh, he was he worked on that too, uh, like mm-hmm. he was like on Nightmare on Elm Street four and stuff like that. So I mean he's quite a like quite a talent um, as far as the special effects makeup department goes. And so this was his first attempt at making a movie and last, right. um, and like I was just reading about how the. The movie was has been edited down, and uh, it's not doesn't resemble what he was going for. But that being said, I'd say that it's probably the best of the Hellraiser movies since the second one, which I mm-hmm. did not expect. Considering right after that, Alan Smithy title card pops up, a hard cuts to a CGI space station. 
Is it in space? Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, is, that any, is it anything like Jason X? Well, it, yeah. So it starts off in space in the 22nd century. Um, <laughs> but the whole, it, what it is, is it's a framing device. So what happens is that's like kind of the the last beat of the movie, and it's like kind of a descendant of the uh, crater of the um, uh, lament uh, lament configuration. La Manche, well, yeah, La Marchand, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, so he's like a descendant of La Marchand, um, and so you get a it jumps back to the 18th century when, where you get to see it actually be uh, built and invented and put to use. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, you, you get. Um, uh, kind of like a different kind of approach to the whole like Hellraiser storyline, like like because um, let's see here, yeah, there's like a, I guess like there's like a princess Cenobite who gets kind of sucked into the skin of a woman, um, in the 18th hmm. century, and so she's sort of like your antagonist character, um, and. You get some good old-fashioned debauchery in the 18th century. Adam Scott uh, appears as like mm-hmm. sort of uh, this source, this sort of uh, magician, and kind of interested in the dark arts. Is uh, um, so how it goes is the uh, Le Marchand sells one of his puzzle boxes to uh, this this magician fellow, and his sidekick mm-hmm. is Adam Scott. And they take the box and they kill a woman, skin her alive, and then. Um, they using this box. They actually turn it into kind of a. It, it's it's the box is formation is a gateway to hell, and so they use this thing to trap a demon inside this woman's body. And their whole plan is to like use her as like sort of like a sex thing. Um, they mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. so the 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 magician guy he gets killed uh, by Adam Scott because he wants her all for himself, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, poor La Marchand he dies. Uh, but his wife with their child she lives gets away from all this and so the bloodline continues hence the title mm-hmm. and then we jump ahead to 1996 uh where adam scott is alive for a little bit still uh apparently being kept like in perfect shape immortal with this demon woman who decides to turn on him at this point and uh right. the the next uh step in the uh la marchand bloodline is now a guy named john merchant who has uh apparently built a gigantic uh building he's an architect in the shape of the uh uh La configuration <gasps> and uh it's which is kind of neat it's like there's like mm-hmm. like i said there's like all these like little neat things in this movie um i think yeah this is the one i think he's got uh so pinhead's now got like uh cenobite dogs Cenodogs. He's got a pet Aww. dog. <laughs> is it sad or no? It's an evil dog. There's there's no there's no way to feel so sad for this thing. It's just a. Beat. But is it a, like a real dog though in the movie? No, it's puppetry. It's puppetry. Oh, okay, it's all like right. all it's all like skin and like you're all muscly and vicious and mean. Um, okay. Yeah, and so there's a bunch. There's there's like a middling part where stuff goes down. There's some good again visuals, um, kind of in there that. I was surprised by, I was kind of like, Oh, okay. Cause I mean the, the whole Hellraiser universe should open itself up to, uh, letting a director kind of just do whatever sick shit they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that should be like the goal of any Hellraiser movie if you're going to do it. Um, yeah. So, and then the movie kind of ends back in the 22nd century where the, this, this guy who built this, uh, space station is like kind of the last, the last member of the, the bloodline. And he's basically trying to, destroy the Cenobites once and for all, or at least their ability to cross over into the real world. And that's sort of the mm-hmm. whole end idea of the thing. I, it wasn't, 
bad. I, I it was like, I mean, it, this is the last one that actually had a theatrical release, and then yeah. it's all downhill from there. Um, so, because, would you say like so? Because we talked before, I'm gonna watch one and two this Halloween. If I watched any of the rest of them, would it be number four? One, two, four. Sure. And I mean. Yeah, that's about it. And that's like kind of like barely a recommend. Like that's like mm-hmm. I thought it was fine for like a a multi-sequel thing and there's like enough like interesting horror stuff for a horror fan. Um Yeah. I mean, if you're a John Woo uh action movie fan, uh listening to this, I don't know if uh I wouldn't really recommend Hellraiser Bloodline to you, but if you kind of like the idea of horror movies and f- watching horror franchise stuff and don't necessarily want to waste your time watching nine Hellraiser movies to figure out which ones are there to watch. Just watch mm-hmm. the first one. And if you really like it, watch the second one and you're probably good. And if you really got some time, watch the fourth one. Cause from that point forward, um, the rest of the Hellraiser movies are all straight to video and all their screenplays were repurposed, um, screenplays that, uh, dimension films just basically had lying around. And then they got guys to punch them up and add pinhead into their, uh, framework and yeah. so you get all these like detective stories and like stuff that's like all those like serial killer movies that were coming out in the nineties. You just get stuff like that again. Um, so like Hellraiser Inferno, which was from 2000. So it's actually like about four years after the previous movie came out. Um, mm-hmm. It's from the director of the movie Sinister and the forthcoming Doctor Strange, Mr. Oh. Uh, Scott Derrickson. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh Was it any good? Uh there's not enough there to like say yeah. No, it it's got it's got the word man. Ugh. Well, I think that's a solid recommendation. You can't even uh verbalize uh <laughs> actual words. Um that sounds I don't know. I don't know if it's the director's fault, <laughs> but the, as you said that Doctor Strange, I've been pretty um I've had heavy trepidation for that movie for a while. I was like, I remember it, it was still filming like a couple months ago and it comes out like next month. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit. Like I know movies sometimes like uh, do like filming and stuff. And I actually, I heard it like just went to resh- reshoots, but it comes out in like less than 60 days. Like I know movies do that, but it seems a little, a little tight. Yeah. It's a little tight. It's the November, like, I don't know that fall dumping ground if you want to call it for like those mm-hmm. type of movies it's like they were doing that with the thor movie that last thor movie yep. too and like yeah like they they must they kind of know pre-oscar uh, dump nah, ah yeah i don't know it's a weird time of year like this is usually mm-hmm. more like award season and then you try to slip through a few things and then you do your big christmas stuff like usually late mm-hmm. november and this is coming out all before that so i don't know it's marvel studios though those movies are pretty well like proofed against like failing so i mean it's yeah. going to make m- Way more money than it should probably, but that's neither here nor there. Um, to, yeah. I guess to finish just talking about the Hellraiser stuff, um, Hellraiser Hellworld, which is the eighth film uh, in the Hellraiser series, it's awful. It's like, it's just, it's, 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 it's crap. Avoid. Um, can, can you uh, elaborate? Uh, it's like, well, do you like the... Uh, no, I don't want to. It's it's okay, it's his junk. Lance Hendrickson's yeah. in it. He's really Aww. wasted. There's a bit where uh, he comes out of the backseat of a Jeep that this girl's trying to start, and he goes, it's like a bad horror movie, huh? And I was just like, no, it's exactly a, that. It's a bad horror movie. like Because it's trying to be meta. <laughs> it's it's like kind of like, so it's, it's, a, kind of, it's trying to be scream-like. 
in the eighth in the eighth yeah. installment of a franchise. No, but like I said, this is like it's bullshit. At this point, they've completely uh, abandoned the concept of a franchise. Um, there's like no real continuity anymore. This is like a world where. Uh, Hellraiser is like a movie or like it's a fictional thing and there's like people playing an uh, online game of Hellraiser and um. yeah it's it's super junky and then it turns it tries to be a slasher film but it's also trying to be Saw and it's mm-hmm. like I think it's it, yeah no it's like uh, 2005 so it's definitely post Saw I don't know what anyone was thinking when they were it doesn't make any sense um, one of the things that all these like last few movies of them are guilty of is like they all start kind of relying on this idea of um uh, it's all like hallucinations. It's all Jacob's ladder, but with pinhead. Um, and mm, like so, that doesn't sound as interesting. Well, so Scott Derrickson in uh, Hellraiser Five does a pretty good job of like kind of making that interesting. But Rick Botta, who's who directs the last three of these movies, he's not as good at that. Um, there's Hellseeker, which I like. I only watched that movie a few days ago, and I really don't remember too too much about it, other than it's got Dean Winters in it, who um, <laughs> who played uh, like he was like O'Reilly on the TV show Oz, and uh, like Dennis O'Leary's brother on that show Rescue Me. Yeah, um, and so he's like kind of the main character, and it's like the exact same story as Inferno, more or less, where a guy doesn't realize he's trapped in like a uh, Cenobite hell world now because he opened up the box mm-hmm. and it's just the same thing but it's like way less interesting because at least Inferno has a couple of really good visuals um, yep. and then uh, Hellraiser Deader I almost have a kind of fondness for because when I was watching it it really reminded me of Warren Ellis comics from like the early 2000s that he was doing at Avatar Press uh, I'll let you, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just read the synopsis of Hellraiser Deader um, the tagline is the latest most terrifying evil In London, after investigating crack-addicted junkies for an article in her newspaper, Amy Klein watches a bizarre videotape wherein an underground group of youngsters in uh, Bucharest apparently becoming zombies. Amy finds Marla dead with a puzzle cube in her hands. She brings the object to her hotel room and opens it, beginning her journey to hell. It doesn't sound too bad. No, like on paper, it's like it's far more in line with the type of movie I would like to watch. Like it's actually kind of similar eh, to something like Cigarette Burns. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cigarette Burns has the uh, bonus of it. It's not like the seventh part of a horror franchise. So people yeah. would actually watch it because it's also John Carpenter and no one cares about Rick Boda. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, the movie has like, it's not good. It's got one really good scene involving a kitchen knife to the back and mm-hmm. just like finding a kitchen knife in your back in a bathroom and you don't know how it got there. Um, and it's not, you're not dying and it's just stuck in your back. It's like, it's played really like well for considering. Yep. Um, but yeah, man, man, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time that's happened to me, I know <laughs> that, real so that one was, that one wasn't bad. That one's say. yeah. That one's not God awful. Uh, hell world is. And RJ, I've got one more to go and that's mm-hmm. Hellraiser revelations. And from what letterbox tells me, um, in the letterbox community, it's like regarded as one of the worst horror films ever made. So, uh, yippee. <laughs> so you're, you're saying you got a chance. So you're optimistic about this last yeah. one is what you're saying. Yeah, well, I think I'll be, uh, after this show here, uh, I think I'll be uh, delving into that. Um, mm. Well, I uh, I don't envy you, man. Yeah. Um, I don't pity you either. Frankly, you deserve all the bad things that happened yeah. to you. But well, uh, I, I brought this on myself. Yeah. Well, that's too bad how you just climbed into a huge pile of shit with number eight and you're just going to get even dumped on more with number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
I guess it goes without saying nine's probably going to be fucking horrible. Maybe if if the uh, well, internet is correct. What what about uh, that new one coming out soon? You know anything about that? Oh, Hellraiser Judgment. Allegedly, it's coming out next year. Um, allegedly. It, alle- well, who knows? We'll, we will yeah. see. Um, I, there seems to be like no hope for it. I mean, uh, Doug Bradley hasn't didn't come back for uh, even Revelations. He he lasted through those first eight, and he mm-hmm. stopped coming back at nine. He's not coming back for ten. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. who knows. Like this stuff gets like probably made so quickly. Who even knows if it's been in production yet? Um, it's just like these movies have to come out so they can keep renewing their. Uh, their copyright or their uh, license deal with this stuff and keeping them basically uh, in prison. It's, yeah. it's a great uh, demonstration of the greed of studios. It, Cause like, what's the benefit of these movies if you're not like even going to attempt to make anything good with them. And I feel mm. depressed for like the, all the people involved in making these movies. Cause I don't know, like obviously actors kind of like they're, they're just desperate for work and as they go along, you're going to start, you, you, there's like, there's a big drop in the quality of actors that they were getting. Like mm-hmm. none, like I don't recognize anybody from Hellworld other than Lance Henriksen. And I don't think he's been the most discerning, uh, type of mm-hmm. guy for a long time. And yeah, so this one, who knows? Uh, it'll probably be terrible. I mean, at this point, yeah. like, like, you know, if maybe like a bloom house or something like that would like pick it up or become involved or like they actually put some effort in, like, <laughs> Mike Flanagan directing. I don't know. It, there's yeah. there's like so many ways to make these better than what they are with the budget. I think it's a great world. It's a great setting. Um, Clyde Barker doesn't necessarily have to be involved. He could be. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are interested in this sort of world, like this setting, but they've just been going back and forth to these crummy, cheap ideas because of the nature of how they're doing them. I mean, they're just dusting off scripts and then inserting Pinhead. And then that involves just having characters uh, experience like dreams and then they wake up scared. And then it's like, oh, well, that nothing paid off there. And then Pinhead mm-hmm. shows up at the very, very end and makes a, a quip. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds bad. Yeah, that's it, it, not great. But I mean, I thought it was honestly going to be worse. So... <laughs> Hell, hell world, hell world definitely lived up to my uh, my lowered lowered expectations, I guess you could say. And then uh, everything else has kind of been like well, fairly watchable. Um, yeah. I, I think I had a rougher time with even like the Halloween franchise. Watching four, yeah. five, and six of those, those are not good. Mm-hmm. Um, I would never watch any of those again. Um, I think they should put uh, your quote there on the um, on the box set. Uh, Could have been worse. <laughs> Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Yeah. Which I mean, for a lot of horror franchises and like these, like the bad horror movies that get put out on VOD, like right away. I mean, that's about as much as you can shoot for. Yeah. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll leave uh, Hellraiser alone for this week. Um, mm-hmm. RJ, what's in the news? Oh man, I got so much news for you this so this much. round. Yeah. I'll try to burn through it because this is going to be a fatty episode as it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so in uh, a piece of news uh, explicitly catering to our podcast, mm-hmm. uh, my main man, the fallen son, Mel Gibson, yep. has called Batman v Superman a piece of shit. He has. So it, it was a very public statement. Um, to be honest, uh, so I was a little torn by this because as people know by now, I, I actually really dig B- Batman v Superman, especially the uh, 
the ultimate cut, like the Rage edition that they put out later. So yeah. I wonder what which one Mel Gibson watched. I bet it was a theatrical cut. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I was a little torn because mm-hmm. I, I I actually dug that movie, and as people also know, Mel Gibson's like my fucking hero. Um, <laughs> but to be to be very honest, I don't really know why this is news, anyways, other than that. Uh, like Mel has a, a movie coming out soon and to be very blunt I imagine that Mel Gibson sees a lot of movies as pieces of shit because he makes really fucking good movies so uh, like anything under a Mel Gibson made movie is probably not very good so this doesn't really surprise me in any way it's just I, I like you and me both had a chuckle about it this week because it was like mainstream news <laughs> and it is like holy shit this is like everything we've talked about like all coming together. Well, so so I actually, I read the variety article that, uh, this, one of the, uh, people covering this story was a variety and, um, people variety, it's not people, uh, but the news organizations covering it. And I mean, so I actually read it and like what it boiled down to, here's a, here's a, one of the quotes. It's a piece of shit. The six year old director told deadline, uh, at the Venice film festival. I'm not interested in this stuff. Do you know what the difference between real superheroes and comic book superheroes is? Real superheroes don't wear spandex. So I don't know. Spandex must cost a lot. The DC comics (laughs) blockbuster, which was panned by critics came up when Gibson revealed the modest budget he worked with on his latest film, Hacksaw Ridge. The exchange rate for the U S dollar was good at the time. And I think we locked in at about 72 cents on the dollar and took a $27 million budget and turned to a $40 million budget. He then confirmed the budget for his last film. Apocalypto clocked in at around 30 million dollars before admitting he doesn't think movies that cost 200 million dollars plus to produce are worth it i look at them and scratch my head i'm really baffled by it i think there's a lot of waste and but uh maybe if i did one of those things with the green screens i'd find out different <laughs> it's like one of, one of those things <laughs> one of those things it seems to me that you could do it for for, for less you're spending outrageous amounts of money 180 million dollars or more i don't know how you make it back after the tax man gets you and after you give half to the exhibitors <laughs> Hey, man, M- fucking Mel's doing what he's always done. He's telling it like it fucking is. Yeah, well, I'm one of my... Preach, uh, brother. Oh, I think one of the best supervillains of all time is Taxman. Taxman? <laughs> yeah, fucking right. <laughs> Where his uh, one hand is a calculator and one hand is a like a, one of those yellow legal pads yeah. with a pen on it. Um, Taxman. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. like, well, that I doesn't mean, surprise well, me well, at all. What, what do you think of uh, the superheroine Sugar Tits? Sugar tits? Uh, well, she doesn't wear spandex because Mel Gibson uh, it ain't about that. And neither is that green thing. That's it. Yeah. Now, I, I might lose some people on that. But if uh, you're interested, go back to those uh, leaked voicemails. Mel left his girlfriend a couple years ago. And uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, as long as you don't um, leave the house dressed like that. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't like surprise me it doesn't sound like he's even seen the movie like it it sounds like he's just like nah movie fucking sucks he's like why would anyone want to do superhero movies yeah you know what i would fucking love to see a fucking mel gibson like batman movie (laughs) or not even batman like what's like a a really like dirty grimy like dc comic hero um i don't know uh well fuck it why don't mel gibson like swamp thing or uh (laughs) Metamorpho. Metamorpho, yeah. Metamorpho is pretty greasy. Yeah, I want to see the uh, the Mel Gibson Metamorpho movie. That's my hard uh, hard ticket. Uh, Um, Well, well, speaking of uh, maligned things on the internet, um, I read some, I guess, sad news today, um, just a little while ago, that Alan Moore says he's retiring from comics. Oh, no. Yeah, so... 
Uh, is we, that like real though? Like, will well, he stick you? Well, well, I think he said that before, and then he came back and wrote some more comics. And I mean, it could very well change his mind again. So, um, from the uh, AV Club, uh, wrote uh, Alan Moore, the comic writing legend who co-created influential titles like V for Vendetta and Watchmen, has announced that he's planning to retire from the comic book penning game. Moore made the announcement during a press conference for his new prose novel Jerusalem this week, telling the Guardian that he's got about 250 pages of comics writing left in him. That includes some very enjoyable work on his H.P. Lovecraft influenced series Providence, the movie themed anthology series Cinema Purgatorio and a final volume of The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and after that he's done. I think I've had en- done enough for comics, more told reporters I've done all that I can I think if I were to continue to work in comics inevitably the ideas would suffer, inevitably you'd start to see me retread old ground and I think both you and I probably deserve something better than that Ironically, given his notably dismissive take on the movies that have been made out of his books over the years, one of the several bones of contention is long soured relationship with his old publisher at DC. Moore said he might be getting into filmmaking next. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, if he does retire from comics, that would be a, a sad blow to the industry. Like, it's probably one of the best there ever was. But I, uh, I've always pictured alan moore as like a stephen king type like this guy's just gonna be writing until he fucking dies oh yeah so i have a hard time believing that like say he does stop comics he'll just do other things and his presence will always be around so um that sucks but i i I think he'll come back yeah i mean eventually i mean yeah i'll just put out there it's like alan moore is still like one of my like all-time favorite comic writers like um, I mean, it goes beyond like just like oh, I really like Watchmen. Um, I mean, I mm-hmm. think From Hell is like le- the legit like one of the best graphic novels of all time. Um, I think it's like a real great piece of literature. Um, I really mm-hmm. love his comic Promethea. It's not for everybody, but once like I was kind of became really curious with his like whole view on like chaos magic and his like sort of uh, his spiritual interests because it's like mm-hmm. fascinating that like someone could be into that so i mean like i read his comics like really kind of uh reading into like all the stuff that he's into like uh austin osmond spare and stuff like that and yeah. um yeah no there's like a lot to it and there's like a real thoughtfulness to it and um yeah um even like his like early stuff for like 2000 ad like tharg's future shocks i have a collection of that stuff that i like i think there's so many good ideas that are packed in there um i think his like ideas are just as good as like a kurt vonnegut or whatever Mm -hmm. um his swamp thing comics are still like like probably the best like mainstream horror comics from that period of time Mm -hmm. that like very few people ever get close to um and then like well i mean i'll be getting a copy of his uh book jerusalem when it comes out that gigantic beast of a thing that he's been writing forever and ever and is that the million page one yeah i think so it it sounds like it's probably going to be about that um Mm -hmm. and then there's like uh he's he's been working on this like crazy book like the um bumper book of magic that like it's it's like going to be like this giant tome of like him and um a friend of his who i think he died steve moore who's not related to him but they they were working on this book they were both like practitioners in their magic stuff and like they were writing this like whole history of magic in this book and he's been working Mm -hmm. on this for like several years and it it hasn't come out yet i assume that like probably he'll just put the rest of his time into doing that because i think that thing is going to be like a marvel like to behold when it does finally come out and i mean i still am like a big alan morph supporter um i think that he's really poorly um 
represented Represent. online. People yeah. like rip him for like really weird reasons, and like they're too busy trying to find out how he's a hypocrite rather than like saying, yeah, maybe he's a hypocrite, but he still has really good points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe we should be listening to the principled guy. I mean, there's like the aspect where like he's cut people out of his life, like kind of like almost arbitrarily and unfairly, yeah. like unlike most of us, like who you know kind of let bygones be bygones and he actually sticks to his guns on things when people act in a certain way and i don't i don't know i don't agree with that necessarily but i mean that's Mm -hmm. sort of his thing um but yeah i mean his presence on like comics is like completely like unmeasurable i mean Mm -hmm. uh goddamn in dc comics right now uh jeff johns and company they're still like digging out Dr. Manhattan and bringing him and Rorschach into the DC universe. Um, like, yeah. cause I don't even know if anyone cares about that stuff anymore. Like, I don't so know. So saturated out by this point, like they've tried to emulate it and just straight copy it and like use it so many times now that I think you're right. Like, I don't think anyone even cares. No, I, it's cause it's like, we'll just read Watchmen. We don't need to read all this new stuff that has nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no, I agree with you completely with Alan Moore, and I don't think people are fair to him either, just because he's a little kooky. But I've never like, I think he talks pretty straight, like with what he does. Yes. Like, yeah, like he's a super cool dude. But um, going from one of your favorite favorite comic creators to my favorite comic creator, did you hear about Jeff Lemire and Gord Downey's book today? No. So uh, Jeff Lemire, um, comic graphic novelist whatever you want to call him my like he's my absolute favorite go read sweet tooth underwater welder uh he's teaming up with uh, the tragically hips gord downey and um it's already done comes out next month uh jeff lemire drew and uh all drew all the panels to uh, an 86 comic and gord or 86 page comic and gord downey recorded a solo album to accompany the comic hmm. and it's about um it's called Secret Path, and it's about uh, like Canadian history, but specifically about um, like a uh, a First Nations kid in uh, the '60s who was put on like um, like a reserve school, and like if people aren't aware, like there's some pretty grisly stories about like uh, native uh, native reserves and like schools specifically in Canada, like in the last like hundred years or so. Um, so it's about like a kid who was in one of these schools and he like tried to run away and I think he, he like died in the wilderness or something like that. So, uh, I don't know the story, but, uh, you better believe I'm getting that fucking book. I own everything Jeff Lemire has ever drawn. Well, except for a few variants, but, uh, any of his like actual content I have. Um, and I'm sure, and I love the tragically hip too. So, uh, it's just a bonus that there's some new mu or some new music from them to accompany the book. So. I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. Just, no, I, uh, I kind of had, as you're talking comics. Yeah, I, that completely uh, missed me by. I don't remember that really being talked about at all. So I mean, and it's, mm-hmm. it's obviously drawing a comic takes a little bit of time. So um, it doesn't really have that uh, that kind of specter of uh, like cheap cash in because mm-hmm. obviously Jeff Lemire didn't whip this up in the last several months when uh, Gordon. Da- um, Gordon's uh, health problems uh, and imminent death were announced. Essentially, yeah. No, they actually say that uh, it started two years ago. Right. Because, like, the thing with Jeff Lemire, too, is, like, any books that he actually draws, like, he can only really do one at a time. Yeah. That's why his, like, um, his creator content or, like, anything 
his independent novels, they only come out like maybe one a year. Right. Like uh, maybe at the most, like right now he's working his fucking dick off and he's got two coming out this year. But uh, no, they said it, um, they started working on it in 2014 and that's why it's already done. Um, And it was just announced today. I'm not surprised you didn't hear about it. It sounds like two, they're selling off of their main website, but also in association with Amazon and all the proceeds are going to like First Nations uh, organizations in Canada. So... Hmm. Pretty interesting little uh, story there. Yeah. With the comic world. Do you have any other uh, news? Because no, if you don't, uh, I have some interesting stuff. No, no, I don't. Uh, okay. That Mel Gibson uh, called BVS a piece of shit basically won yeah. the week for me. So Yeah. So uh, I've heard some, uh, yeah, that won my week as well. But uh, I heard some things today that I think we need to start a new segment. Uh, Nick Cage alert. There has been... <laughs> There Do has been to? some, yeah, we have to. Oh. Uh, fuck, I, I like Nick Cage, man. And he's uh, fucking cool. I don't know. Well, if, well we if, can if, talk if, about that another day. Yeah, the Nick Cage stuff, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, now it's like, I don't want to be into like the whole thing where it's like, oh, it's cool that he he's in a bunch of pieces of shit. <laughs> like, I, it's just, yeah. I don't well, know. I, I don't think that. I think, like, I think Nick Cage is like a legitimate good actor. And like, if you ever question that, go look at movies like Leaving Las Vegas or stuff like that. I think he just. Adaptation. Yeah, adaptation. Yeah. I think he just uh, doesn't say no to anything. He's got like well, Sam Jackson. He, 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 you know what? He can't afford to say no. Yeah, because fucking he he loses all his money. The tax man, um, RJ. The tax man. <laughs> Fuck Mel Gibson was right. He, of um, course he was right. So about everything. Yeah, everything. Fuck Ev- everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Don't send your hate mail to uh, jarrettduncan.com. Uh, anyways, uh, so I have a Nick Cage alert and actually two, and I just thought, you know, why not talk about this? So Nick Cage (laughs) was reported today that, uh, one time apparently he was in his house and he woke up and there was a, this is a quote, uh, a naked, there was a naked man wearing my leather jacket, eating a fudgesicle in the front of my bed. Uh, (laughs) that is end quote. He says, it sounds funny, but it was actually horrifying. And then Cage, uh, proceeded to do quote, verbal judo on uh end quote uh on this man who had um mental problems and he talked the man out of his house so one time nick cage found a guy naked in his leather coat eating a fudge the coal on his bed and he did verbal judo to get him out of there that's pretty fucking cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, so that's pretty crazy I'd be, um, I'd, in, I'd be crazy to deny how cool that is yep exactly uh, but in the the piece of news that actually brought me to this Nick Cage stuff is uh, apparently one time uh, Nick Cage had a big bag of uh, mushrooms, uh, like hallucinogenic mushrooms on his counter. And he left them there and he came back and he saw his cat was eating them. And so he felt really bad. So he said, if my cat's going to do this, I better do it with him. <laughs> so he, he ate the rest of the bag of mushrooms. And then uh, this is uh, his quote. I remember lying in my bed for hours and Lewis was on the desk across from the bed for hours, staring at each other, not moving, but he would stare at me and I had no doubt that he was my brother. (laughs) So uh, apparently one time Nick Cage's cat ate a bunch of mushrooms and so he felt bad, did them too, and then they just stared at each other and uh, now they're brothers. Well, there you are. So I thought that fit with us because not only do we talk about the movies, but we do talk mm. about the kitties sometimes. This is true. So, That's a fact. Um, so, I mean, there's no 
nothing really to talk about there. I don't need any response from you. Um, I just well, I I'll thought ju- it was interesting. I'll just throw out there. I think uh, maybe it was the AV Club or maybe it was Vice, but like some uh, intrepid journalist uh, went to a Nicholas Cage estate sale. Mm-hmm. And like was taking photos of like one of uh, Nick Cage's uh, houses that he was having to sell to pay back Taxman, and tax uh, there's like I, I, well, the one photo that stands out at me is like a, t- a picture from one of his bathrooms in this house where it had like that carpeted toilet seat cover that like oh. the, the, yeah like the, the, that was that used to be like the the style of a time and like I'm pretty sure that when he would have bought that house that was not the style but there it was and I'm just like oh the the bacteria alone in, mm-hmm. the, in those things. Like that's why people don't use those anymore. Um, the humanity. The, yeah. The humidity. <laughs> oh boy. Jeez. So yeah, that's like, that's like my, like when I think of Nick Cage, I just think of a uh, carpet, carpeted toilet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, he's the gift that keeps on giving, I guess. Yep. He will just keep on coming back. And every once, every like one in one in ten movies will be good, I guess. I think that's like yeah. kind of his new th- record. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I almost made the mistake of like I queued up a bunch of like the Nick Cage stuff that's on uh, Netflix, and then I thought better of it, and here I am watching Hellraiser sequels. Yeah, well, you've Man. you're you're on record for oh, making poor life can, choices. Can, can you imagine uh, Nicholas Cage as Pinhead? Fuck, that would be fucking amazing. I would love to see that. Directed by Mel Gibson. Whoa, Holy fuck. yeah. Book it. Book it. Yeah. Greenlight it. Warner Brothers, let's go. Yeah. Well, shit, son. I think we mm-hmm. got ourselves uh, some reviews to get to. We better, because it's going to take all goddamn night. Yep. Well, folks, after the break, we're going to be talking John Woo traveling to Hong Kong Woo. in the past. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. Justice. Three. 
killer and the cop confront eye to eye. Jenny, a ray of hope. Killer and cop both determined to save her. And both falling in love with her. just killed you. I'm not completely without honor, am I? No, it's the world that's changed. It makes me feel sick. so much together. Is it important? And we're back. And first up, we're going to be talking about The Killer from 1989, directed by the guy who directed the movie we'll be talking about in our next segment, John Woo. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought I'd class things up a little bit um, by first saying that uh, uh, General William Westmoreland in the documentary Hearts and Minds, a future Criterion Creeps film, says quite repulsively in it, uh, the Oriental doesn't put the same high price on life as does the Westerner. Life is cheap in the Orient. Those words come to oh mind. God. Yeah. I thought I just dropped that in there. But those okay. words come to mind when I watch John Woo's uh, action movies, particularly The Killer and Hard Boiled. Um, <laughs> Good. Go on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We set the bar high, I guess. Yep. Right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Um, so, you know, one thing I thought we would talk mention, too, is uh, the actual initial release dates for these two movies, The Killer and Hard Boiled. The Killer mm-hmm. was released April 1st of 1998. Um, Hard Boiled came out two months later, uh, June 10th, 1998. 98? Yeah, on DVD. Or eight, 88. 1998. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, on, on DVD, when the Criterion DVDs initially were released. Um, and then I was actually, when I was back looking at this, I realized, uh, like, Walkabout came out in May of 1998. So they weren't really coming out um, in numerical order. They were kind mm-hmm. of probably hopping around a little bit. And it was a point in time when only one Criterion movie would come out a month, as opposed to the four, five, or six that we now get a month uh, mm-hmm. here in 2016, um, making us catching up to... Uh, the latest release of a Criterion uh, Impossible. Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the first and only time in our Criterion creep that we're going to be able to really talk about John Woo in the context of reviews. So I thought we should make it count. Okay. Um, so a little bio- or biography here on uh, old John. Uh, Chinese-born Hong Kong. His father was a school teacher, but unable to work due to tuberculosis. His mother was a manual laborer, at one point homeless due to a massive fire in 1953. At age three, Wu was diagnosed with a serious medical condition, unable to walk correctly until age eight. He was raised Christian, which he remains to this day, and explains some of the Christian imagery and whatnot that appears in the film The Killer. Uh, mm-hmm. At one point, he even wanted to be a Christian minister, which is interesting when you consider one of his biggest influences, uh, Martin Scorsese, also wanted to be a Catholic priest. So I don't know what it is about those directors wanting to be uh, spiritual leaders. Um, Mel, Mel, don't forget Mel Gibson. And Big Mel. Um, he has a church on his property. Oh, well, there you go. There's something mm-hmm. to it, maybe. Um, so yeah, John Woo, he entered the Hong Kong film industry in 1969. Uh, his directorial debut was the film The Young Dragons in 1974, uh, which is notable for its Jackie Chan choreography. Um, and it got picked up by Golden Harvest for distribution, which led to more martial arts and comedy films for John Woo. Um, I guess, though, uh, he wasn't particularly satisfied with his career uh, as it was going along, and things weren't looking good uh, for him sticking around making movies until one of his ideas uh, for a movie, which would become A Better Tomorrow, was financed by uh, Sui Hark. Um, and this led to uh, basically John Woo coming, inventing uh, Gun Fu, as people seem to call it online. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what John Woo has become famous and linked to forever. Um, and yeah, A Better Tomorrow went on to be a big hit. He continued on making uh, uh, what I guess is colloquially known as the Heroic Bloodshed series, which are things like A Better Tomorrow, A Better Tomorrow 2, uh, Bullet in the Head, uh, and then, yeah, The Killer and Hard Boiled. Um, I mean, these movies are kind of like, they all they usually have chow yun fat. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's like the tropes of like manliness and men, masculinity, uh, honor, loyalty, uh, all playing Abs. out over blood-splattered urban hell. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like, yeah, Bullet in the Head's got, like, one of the most, like, apocalyptic dark endings of anything around. Um, so not only were these movies a big deal in China, I think, like, uh, Better Tomorrow was, like, one of the highest grossing films in China for years, for a while there. And uh, John Woo and uh, one of his peers, Ringo Lam, uh, they found an audience in North America as well. Um and I think a lot of that was because his movies completely outdid American action movies in like the ways that what American movies were doing, he, his movies were doing it in just like way harder, way faster. Um, mm-hmm. So um, after Hard Boiled, John Woo uh, went to America and now you know the rest of the story. No, uh, Hard Target was a studio Jean-Claude Van Damme hijack fuck fest. Um, mm-hmm. 
I guess like whatever he was doing, the studio uh, would interfere. They didn't get it. They didn't know what he was doing. And I think I've also yeah. heard that Jean-Claude Van Damme, like he kind of wanted to take the reins and like he wanted to be a director too. And I guess maybe he also wanted oh. to be like a, I don't know, a priest, a preacher or something. Uh, then Broken Arrow came along with old uh, Johnny Travolta and Christian Slater. Um, it was a little bit closer to like what a John a John Woo movie uh, is, I guess, or was. But it was also kind of like compromised. Um, but then, of course, came Face Off, which I think if that exact same movie had come out in Hong Kong about like six years ago, it would be like his legit masterpiece. Um, there's mm-hmm. just something about a bunch of white dudes playing running around and dual wielding guns it just looks really goofy especially when it's uh nick cage and uh oh, fuck off travolts yeah fuck off that movie no, rules no no yeah it's, that, it's it's okay it's all right uh, um yeah, let me, that movie rules so You're mi- uh then, then mission impossible 2 remember that that came out that was a big yeah. deal at the time but that movie actually isn't very good um is that an alan smithy uh no that is a john wooey oh. and um uh, then it was all downhill from there because then there was Wind Talkers and Paycheck. And then John Woo hit the road back to China. Uh, he made his historical epic Red Cliff, which I still haven't watched. Um, but that was basically it. That was like kind of the end of his like directorial career. Um, and he's like been producing and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, America really uh, took a lot out of the the man. And also, I guess like he's gotten older. And I can't imagine it's uh, it's a old man's game making the type of stuff that he wants to do. Hence the historical epic also in the context of like how China wants certain movies to be made. And it's a lot easier to make something like a historical epic than a contemporary thing. Unless mm-hmm. you're Johnny Toe. Yeah. Well, he he's 69 now, so not yeah. everybody's George Miller at 70 filming in the desert for fucking years. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Uh, I'll, I might as well mention too, that, um, in both cases of the movies that we're watching, um, we had to watch the dragon dynasty, uh, blu-rays uh as the criterions are number one long out of print and apparently not very good transfers either um Hmm. years ago before the dragon dynasty uh versions came out uh from Euromax, uh those criterions went for like big money because there was no like equivalent at all in north america to watch them on so you still had to settle for them even though i think it was the killer was actually letterboxed which is just terrible um but even like from what i've read like i think the dragon dynasty blu-rays look okay they're not uh groundbreaking amazing prints or anything like that i think a lot of that comes down to uh, like kind of the film stock that was being used at the time um in hong kong but uh and like i don't know how restored they actually are and miramax is kind of legendary for being horrendous to uh their uh hong kong movies um with through their dragon dynasty line uh, but at least with the ones that we watched, the proper aspect ratio, uh, they actually have proper subtitles as opposed to the dub titles, uh, which is just like the it's a it's the subtitling of the bad English dub where characters are named John and talk mm-hmm. and yeah that which are just terrible. I, I couldn't even imagine that. Or if I did watch them, it was a long time ago. Um, the one downside, of course, is that with the Dragon Dynasty Blu-rays, we don't get access to the John Woo commentary tracks, Aww. which is a bummer. You would have watched those. I would have probably checked them out. Yeah, I think I would have. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, let's talk the killer. So synopsis time. A killer synopsis. Uh, 
Chow Yun-fat plays assassin for hire Ah Zhong, who goes on a job for the triad to kill a dude. And during the ensuing bloody uh, carnage, a la John Woo, uh, John Woo movies, a nightclub <laughs> singer named Jenny is blinded by muzzle flash, while not all bad Ah Zhong tries to protect her. Ah Zhong is racked with guilt and starts up a relationship with the blinded Jenny, who is of course oblivious to who he is and his responsibility in blinding her. There is an operation possible to reverse the blindness before it is uh, total, and that is going to require some fat cash. So Ajong uh, takes one more final job for the triad. Um, our second protagonist is Hong Kong cop uh, Li Ying, played by Danny Lee, who is working undercover trying to bust some gun dealers. And in another gun battle, an unlucky patrolman gets blown away, and uh, Li Ying is left frustrated with the problems of the system. This theme is probably going to come up again in other films we're talking about tonight. Our two protagonists collide when Li Ying is on a protection detail of a piece of shit business crime figure man uh, who is Ajong's target. We get Xiao Yun Fat uh, rocking a fake dad stash and a dust of mm-hmm. salt and pepper on his jet black mop, uh, sniping the scumbag from a speedboat. Um, and we get a nice headshot. Uh, we, mm-hmm. get a, we get a chase, and Xiao Yun Fat kind of gets away somehow, uh, but not for too long as he's being now going to be double crossed by the new triad leader who sent him to go kill his uh, own uh, family member, essentially, to take power. Um, but uh, Ah Zhang is too badass for all that. Uh, action abounds. Uh, a young child is wounded. Ajong uh, is not so bad, and he saves the girl. He rushes her to the hospital with uh, Li Ying uh, behind. Um, yeah, and they they meet up at the hospital, but they miss one another in sort of a standoff. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those. It's all those like real calculated ways of getting them to be separated apart. But it's actually played fairly well for this type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, another principal actor in the story is a. Uh, uh, or character is uh, Feng Sai, who is the future that Lai is in wait for Ah Zhang, the crippled hired gun for the triads, who now acts as a uh, go-between in these murder-for-hire arrangements and good friend to uh, Ah Zhang. Uh, Zhang wants his, wants his money. Uh, Feng Sai uh, comes with a briefcase, uh, but it's filled with nothing but fake paper, and he's, he's actually been sent to kill him, but uh, he doesn't, and uh, he fails... Um, basically that kind of sets up like sort of this ongoing relationship between the two because um, they both have a lot of respect for one another, but they're kind of caught up in a bad situation um, and kind of kind of goes from there. Some police mm-hmm. work follows and the Jenny Link to Zhang leads Li Ying to Jenny's apartment and our two leads meet up in classic John Woo style, uh, gun to gun. Um, a more fun uh, than serious cat and mouse chase uh relationship between killer and cop begins and Lee is entranced by those moments of good old Ah Zhang's um, like better side I guess he's kind of like well this guy can't be all bad and he kind of starts questioning um, I guess his own like morality or something like that so mm-hmm. uh, in the rest of the movie parking garage gun battles suburban house shootouts death blood explosions ways of men running in front of automatic weapons and shotguns uh, all building up to a church shootout to end all church shootouts that Ah Zhang has been frequenting as he wrestles with his own uh, qu- um, questions of morality and spirituality and what, he, what what his place is in this world and dudes getting fucking shot to death and the movie ends on the darkest mm-hmm. note yet of the Criterion Collection films we've watched. Mm-hmm. So RJ, um, you know that this is the first movie we've watched where the director is still alive? 
No shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's kind of weird. This yeah. is actually also this is the first movie we've watched from a country that I've actually been to. Really. So this is a, a whole bunch of firsts what? for us. That's well, that's the that's a me learning that is a first as well. Oh, you didn't know that? Mm-mm. I've been to China twice actually. Uh, Beijing, uh, Shanghai, and uh, a bunch of cities in between. Wow. Uh, never Hong Kong though, which I think is the setting for both of these yeah. movies. So, um, were you well? If were you involved in any uh, roving gun battles? A few, a oh, few. Um, wow. It's just part of the culture, man. Uh, when you get there, when you get off the plane, they give you you have your choice of a gun or um, Peking duck. I chose the duck, so I did. I, I still kind of got into some of these gung fu battles, but uh, not as many mm-hmm. as. I would have maybe if I had gone the alternative route. Did you know that John Woo has never fired a gun before? I find that surprising. It seems like he's <laughs> in love with them. Yeah, he seems to really be in love with the um, uh, the mechanism of them, like and how you can use them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, this movie is like amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking um, right, it is. Do do you do you have any thoughts, RJ? Uh, yeah, I have thoughts. Um, yeah, I agree with you. This movie fucking rules. And uh, spoiler alert, I think this. I think this is the better of the two. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I don't know what people think about these movies because, quite frankly, I had never even fucking heard of them before until you lent them to me a while back. Um, Not even that long ago. <laughs> no, it was like two or three months ago. Yeah. So I, I just had a treat, the treat of watching them again. Uh, no, I think this movie fucking rules. I think it's got some. It really highlights John Woo's like cinematic style, um, like his use of colors, red and blue. Like there's so many scenes that are just like flooded with color. Like it's all blue in one scene and then the next scene is all red. Um, it just looks fucking great. Uh, he has a lot of shots where it's like black silhouettes with blue backgrounds where it's like uh, skylines or like oceans and it'll be like Chow Young Fat and just a black silhouette on top of a blue uh, background. I think that fucking is just awesome. It looks so good. Uh, what else is there? Um, I think Cha- or John Woo is in love with churches and doves and scaffolds. Uh, I don't know what it is, but every well, one of his movies I've seen has like construction workers with like sparks coming out of stuff when oh. it's like super like impractical. It's like they wouldn't be working now, but I love it. It's yeah. super cool. Um, this movie has a lot of uh, that classic John Woo uh, freeze frame where it's like a character will finish a monologue and then it'll just like freeze frame and like zoom in a little bit for like three seconds or so. And then it like kind of breaks away. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, John Woo does something really really interesting where like when he films like uh crowded uh scenes like crowded scenery where there's a scene on a bus in this movie and like you you get a feeling that like there's just people everywhere because the cops are looking for the bad guy but what john Woo does it's like it's very like john cassavetes where he'll just have like people walk in front of the camera and like kind of like obstruct the camera view so mm. like i thought it was interesting because i feel like like in a uh, killing of the chinese bookie uh, Cassavetes does that a lot where like people will just be walking in front of the camera and there'll be like periods where you can't see because there will be like a guy's head there or something. Yeah. Um, I really like that. I don't know why it's, 
I guess maybe just because it's unconventional or it's just different from what a lot of people do, I guess. Um, so I think that's really cool. Uh, that's my general takes on the movie itself, but for I have some individual things I really like too. So do you want me to lay well, those down on you right well, now, or we, do you want we to? We could do maybe add? a little back and forth on that. Um, yeah, why I, don't you I, uh, take it? For a second there, I thought I like I had written all these notes out, and I was like, where did I put them? And I just found them all. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, the first thing that like I, I, the movie like obviously pops out with is like sort of the like the 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 Christianity I guess that like mm-hmm. is at the very beginning of this movie um, which like made me immediately think of like kind of the Catholicism in like Martin Scorsese movies um, or and of course it's right. like I thought of that because like I think I read that years and years ago um, that like one of his th- one of his ideas with making the killer was that he basically wanted to make kind of a an ode to like uh, Jean Pierre Melville's uh, Le Samurai and uh, to, like Martin Scorsese movies like uh, mm-hmm. Mean Streets. Like sort of like the Harvey Keitel character in that, or like even yeah. like Abel Ferreira, uh, bad lieutenant, um, Harvey Keitel, and sort of like these like kind of conflicted characters. Which I mean, I I um, not a practicing religious person whatsoever. Um, I would call myself an atheist, and uh, so I've always I find this material always interesting though, um, because usually like a better director will kind of make these sort of uh, issues more universal and like kind of like on a humanist level rather than mm-hmm. um, anything else. And usually the movies that fail to do that to make it kind of more broad, they they, they just are failing at it for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like an obvious thing. I don't really have anything to say about that. But um, the one thing I noticed, though, is like I kind of made these notes about like things that John Woo I thought was doing. And then I would listen to the John Woo interviews uh, on these movies and he would say exactly what I was thinking. So I was yeah. like, I'm not like proud of myself for picking these things out, but I think that he's really good at like uh, citing his work, I guess, in a way that it's like, yeah, you can watch it and appreciate it on this like real uh, easy to get level. Um, mm-hmm. which I guess is like maybe populist in a weird way, but I mean, he's making action movies and, but he's mm-hmm. making them like fairly artfully. Um, like one of the things that like I didn't pick up on, uh, the last time I rewatched this until I'm watching it again, uh, this week was like how the story and the killer is basically like Charlie Chaplin's, uh, city lights in like the way that, so in city lights, uh, if you're not familiar, um, it's about a blind girl and like Charlie Chaplin kind of like. Uh, she's a flower girl who's blind and he kind of like starts helping her out. And I mean, this is like, he's not like Charlie Chaplin doesn't fire a gun and blind her, but uh, mm-hmm. he's like yeah. trying, he's like kind of like sympathetic to her. And like, he's like, he has no money, but he's like going out of his way to help her out and stuff like that. And sort of like the whole like end of the movie is like when he's like down and out and like destroyed, like he was basically what he's trying to do in the rest of the movies. He's trying to get money together to actually get her eyes. It's the surgery required. So she's not blind anymore. And yeah. then he winds up going to jail, but the money gets to her. And when he gets out, he's like obviously been in jail and has like nothing to his name. And he's just like beaten down. Um, he looks like he's got that salt and pepper going on in his hair. Oh, yeah. uh, and like, so he, and he sees the flower girl again, but of course she never saw him when uh, he was not in jail when she, when he was helping her. So she doesn't recognize him at first. And like, there's sort of that kind of like popped to mind uh, watching this. I mean, it's not like a direct thing, but there's something to it, I guess, in the storyline ways or story wise. I mean, that's the slow-mo in the movie. Like mm-hmm. that's used like during all the action scenes. I mean, that's like just pure Sam Peckinpah. But I mean, that's like the obvious thing, like was like from Wild Bunch or whatever that he like really stylized uh, the that violence. But I also think there's like a certain like polish in choreography to his stuff where it's mm-hmm. like, it's like that dance. It's like almost like, yeah, it's like uh, what people call like bullet ballet. But like, actually I think of um, Brian De Palma 
um, who I don't know if you've watched a lot of Brian De Palma movies, but like through his use couple. of, yeah, his like use of slow motion and stuff like that in music. Um, it's like, he's got such control and like, I mean, John Woo completely does that. Like he's like, mm-hmm. I mean, from what I was reading, like a lot of like this shots in the movies and the screenplays, they're really improvised. Like they're doing that stuff like the day of. Um, and so these movies have like yeah. fairly long shoots and stuff like that. Like um, I think hard boiled was something like 112 days or something like that, which I guess for like a Hong Kong film is actually quite long for what's just ostensibly just an action movie. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean like here's the real like craftsmanship and the stuff he's doing that like, you don't get in uh, like American movies at that same time. I don't think really. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, and then even like I, when I was watching the movie, there's like all the stuff with um, Ah Jong's uh, harmonica playing. And I just kept thinking, oh, it's just like oh, once upon a time in the West. And apparently that's exactly what uh, John Woo was going for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I was like, yeah, oh, no, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Just like, I don't know. I like that he's working on a fair level playing field he's like he likes movies and he's just like i'm gonna put that in there and i mean it's at the same level as like tarantino references a lot of the times um yeah 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 but yeah no um i feel like when i was like when i rewatched uh killer like several months ago and then i lent it to you i i think i wrote in like a little uh snippet review on letterbox was that i felt like john woo's action movies have somehow fallen out of favor mm-hmm. um like people don't talk about them like they should be in my opinion um yeah. Like, I, I think they're really great pieces of movie making and particularly action. Um, and it's just strange to me that, like, it, maybe it's like the people who we all know they're good and that's the assumption. So we don't have to talk about them anymore, which I think is so, like, I don't know. It's a false thing because, I mean, I think there's going to come a point where people will be like, why didn't anyone ever tell me about this? If, if yeah. That, but no, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, do you ever stare at uh, walls of drawings of Chow Yun Fat, RJ? Pretty much, pretty much all day. Okay, <clears throat> pretty much all day. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I thought uh, so. That the cops in love with Chow Yun Fat, right? Uh, he's entranced. Well, because <laughs> like when he's describing him to like the uh, the police um, cartoonist or like whatever that guy's like title is, <laughs> uh, like I don't know what do you call that guy. Um, yeah, yeah, a sure. Mugshot, whatever. Composite so artist, des- yeah. Yeah, when he's describing him, it's like so sensual and like yeah. like weird and like yeah. erotic because you know, he's just like he's like he doesn't say anything physical right. like at all. Yeah. He's just like he's a strong man. He's he's got passion. Yes. He's got like this and that and yeah. then he's like his eyes are <laughs> They'll stare back into your soul. Like he doesn't yes. say a single thing nope. that are helpful. That is a- nope. That's helpful or related to the physical mm-hmm. attributes of Chow Young Fat at all. It's just all like things that are like that he admires. So I was like, this guy just fucking is in love with him. And then even when he like he like meets uh, Chow Young Fat and the girl, and he's like, this is small B or uh, shrimp head. I'm small B. I was like, those yeah. are definitely sexual innuendos, right? Like. Anyways, my point is that guy is fucking in love with Chow Young Fat. I believe sure. I believe my line here was cop description of Chow how I would describe myself. <laughs> okay, well that that's that's very very telling of uh, yourself. Yeah, I I am in lust with myself. Sure, who isn't? Um, so yeah, I mean, oh yeah, there's the the other thing too is like when you were mentioning the freezing 
uh, like in the action moments, like those little beats. Yeah. Well, you know who? Uh, apparently, that's a that's a throwback to our good friend Francois Truffaut. Because no if you if you shit. if you recall in the four hundred blows, the last big punch of that movie is the big freeze mm-hmm. frame on the kid. Well, I guess like, and I don't remember this really because it's been like a little while. But uh, in Jules and Jim, which is actually what uh, John Wu actually specifically was talking about, he says, mm-hmm. "Yeah, he's like, yeah, the freeze frames are just like in Jules and Jim." <laughs> and I was like, "Huh." Uh, it's been about a year since I've seen Jules and Jim. I don't remember it in that. I remember the True Foe one or in the Four Hundred Blows one because that I was hope pretty so. recent. But, yeah. Um. But I, I I remember I thought it was like really weird, like <laughs> out of place. Yeah. But uh, I think I don't know if we talked about it on the show. I I heard it was just because like the kid didn't hold the pose long enough, so True Foe was like. He oh. wanted to end on like the freeze frame, so he just he did it because the kid like the kid blew didn't. it. Yeah, he blew it. He fucking blew it. That's one of the 400 blows. Yeah. So, um, no, yeah. Anyways, keep, continue. Um, no, that's, that's about it um, for that bit of thought. Um, okay. I do, have some oh, do you recall the last line of the film? Uh, the, 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 I think it was, I think it was Mel Gibson rules with a Z. Close. It was shrimp head. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. He says it three times yeah, shrimp head, in, in a row. And that's, shrimp and that's, head. that's, that's they leave, it makes you think. Shrimp head. But yeah, go shrimp go for head. it. Go for it, Daddy. Uh, ooh, Big Daddy's yeah. coming down to Leathertown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So here's some individual notes I have. Yes. Uh, the way Chow Young Fat smokes is fucking insanely ludicrous. He like holds it with all of his fingers, like yeah. by the filter, so it's yes. like standing completely vertical. I've never seen a person smoke like that in my entire life. Well, like, what kind of nonsense is he into? Uh, anyway, it's, it's the intensity. I mean, because yeah, he puts yeah. his fingers all into like a one, like it's like a singularity of his focus of his attention. Sure, sure. <laughs> let's say that. Um, let's. When when Chow Young Fat goes to the uh, singer girl's apartment for the first time, yes, uh, he like sees pictures of her, and then like he gets really sad because like she used to play tennis and stuff, but now she can't see. Mm-hmm. I, I I have a question for you, Jared. Yes, in your house. Do you have framed pictures of yourself? Uh, not not family photos, not photos with your girlfriend, but individual pictures of yourself framed that are on display. Well, I'm not a character in a movie. So no. Okay. You know what else though? Not only does this lady have framed pictures of herself, but uh, she goes to make tea and she's like, let me put on some music. The music she puts on is a fucking recording of her singing of her singing the song that he was he just saw her sing at the fucking bar. So what I'm going to start doing when I invite people over to my house, I'm going to have like the whole room decorated with pictures like just portraits of myself in various sensual erotic positions and then I'll be like I'll, I'll be like how about some music and I'll put it on and it'll just be me doing a Covers of Bon Jovi songs. Well, it could just be a po- the podcast, and you're it could be the podcast after, yeah. after you become deaf. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but um, no, I, I'll I'll do my Bon Jovi. I have a cover Bon Jovi cover band called uh, Ron Bob Jovi. Uh, that's a <laughs> that's copyrighted, so none of you fuckers get to thinking that you can just step in on that stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play that. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll play that. So, anyways, I thought that was really fucking weird. Um. What else is it? So, hey, why do people fill briefcases with, like, paper to, like, that's cut into the size of money? Like, why don't they just put, like, a phone book in there? 
Um, yeah, like, I, I've noticed that in a few movies where it's like, that's a lot of effort to like, just make some yeah. slices of paper. Well, cause like, usually you're supposed to put like a dollar bill on the top to mm-hmm. make it, to make it look right to like, at least pass the initial inspection. But when you like, all you do is you crack it open. And it's just a bunch of blank pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's that <laughs> insult to injury, I guess that it's like, mm-hmm. we hate your ass so much. We went, we got a guy, we have one guy in the organization in the triage who has nothing else better to do. We can't trust him cause he can't shoot and he's kind of mm-hmm. slow, but he can cut paper cause he's really learned that skill. And when we want to fuck you out of money, we are going to send you that message. And when he's going like, <laughs> to, yeah. so that, this is all in the director's uh, yeah. cut. Um, sure. Um, sure. Yeah. It's in the special features on that criterion that uh, it's going to cost you $180 mm-hmm. to buy. Jeez. So just do, trust me on it and buy it. And then you'll get to see that scene. Okay. Um, that's why yeah. it's, it's like, I guess spite. And, um, because, because RJ film is a visual medium and that's why people have photos. <laughs> sure. I, I get what you're saying, but yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, it's movies, movie magic. No, okay. Uh, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I really like this. Movie. Oh, I know. Just, I know. I know. These I know. are just funny things that yeah. I thought like, yeah. cause I even thought about that. Like, I was like, are they taking the piss right here? But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so, cause like, I was like, okay, well maybe it's like a weight thing. Like the person would like pick it up and like, if it was empty, they'd be like, wait a minute. But it's also like, well, that's not true because if like they thought that someone would like pick it up and like inspect it by weight, they would just look inside. So I can't remember what it is, but I know I've seen one movie where there's a phone book and a briefcase. So I feel like that's just the easier thing. Anyways, whatever. Um, One thing I thought was really funny is so after the boat chase scene. Yes. Chow Yun-Fat's on the beach and then he gets into a shootout yeah he shoots a guy behind a blanket or like a beach towel that's like hanging on a line to dry yeah and it catches on fire yes and there's nothing around it that would cause it to catch on fire and i thought that was interesting and pretty super funny (laughs) Uh, another funny thing is that guy who is in the apartment the cop and he's just throwing garbage down the stairs I thought that was funny as yeah, well. Yeah, well, because he had to complete the illusion that he was just a guy. He's the garbage man yeah. in the building. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> one thing I think is cool, or two things that John Woo does a lot, uh, he shoots the shit out of people. Like, oh, eight, eight bullets into the chest isn't enough. Yeah. Like, a lot yeah. of his characters live after that. You need at least sixty bullets to the fucking mm. face yep. to be dead. Um, he also likes to dress his characters in white a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. Those, and those a lot uh, of, white jumpsuits. At yeah, the, at white the jumpsuits. Yeah. yeah, an entire mob of like 50 people all uh, organized in white jumpsuits. <laughs> and even the house they're in is entirely white. Wow. And it's just so that squibs can look cool, yeah, which exactly. I actually Correct. think is, is awesome. Like, yeah, that's practical. It, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, Chow Young Fat's disguises in this movie are super fucking rad. He's like in so many different disguises. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else? Um, no. Other than that, John Woo loves doves. Just you know that the dove thing is overplayed because there's no doves in Hard Boiled. In Face Off, there is. Yeah. There is. Face Off has a scene just yes. like Pillars where it's in a church yes. and there's doves. Yes. And then there's uh, the people who double guns to the head. That's another John Woo staple. Two people holding guns to each other's heads and the, the ammo, ammo clicks empty. How else are they supposed to drive home that they're uh, uh, different sides of the same coin? I mean, come on. Sex. Oh. <laughs> 
Yeah. There, okay. Uh, the only thing I really want to throw out there with the killer two is there's like that. There's like a sick bump off one of those scaffolds that you mentioned before, where there's mm-hmm. like a, a one of the stuntmen. He takes the hardest fucking drop off that goddamn thing. Like I it, know exactly. Yeah, what it, you're if you about. if you've seen the movie, you know exactly the one I'm talking about. Like it is mm-hmm. so like oh you you feel gravity at that moment. It is um yeah. it is he, something. He takes a lick and that's it's yeah. it's pretty rad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing too is, I mean, this is like where like the nexus point of like talking about the killer and hard boiled, uh, starts emerging, but like just these like waves of men, um, coming (laughs) and like their, their strategy is very poor. Um, like I think if you like really deconstructed that church scene, um, Mm -hmm. there's some problems spatially with what's happening, but it doesn't matter. Like I kept actually thinking back to, uh, uh, seven samurai and how I kind of mentioned, it's like, you know what I really like about seven samurai is they lay out that there's 40 guys that are bad guys Mm -hmm. and we get them eliminated one by one. Every death is felt. Oh yeah, yeah, not, absolutely. Not not of a concern of John Woo's. Um, no, he doesn't care. And I mean, and uh, no, it doesn't matter. Um, actually, I guess like uh, one of the uh, interviews that I did watch with him, he was like mentioning like how they didn't really ever like keep track of that. Like he's like, oh, did someone? Does, do we know how many people we've killed so far? Like he can just laugh it off because he doesn't know. Yeah. And I think that's great because it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about like I mean, it really is like uh, so choreographed, and it's just these dances of just like we gotta keep this moving and keep the excitement and get as much coverage as possible. And it's like it it. it it works amazing. Like it holds up so well. Um, and the story itself is, um, it's the embodiment of cool. Like mm-hmm. I can't think of like another movie that like, when I think about, if I was like, Hey, somebody lend me like some cool, uh, eighties action movies. Um, it's like that movie's kind of on top. Like that's just like yeah. such a, cause it's like, it, it actually come works as like a good movie too. Like, uh, there's like, there's like, there's like a Michael Mann-ness. Like when you were talking about the shots of like the water and stuff like that and of the sky, there's like a vibe mm-hmm. to it. It's very like, I mean, it's not as, um, um, it doesn't have the resonance of Michael Mann cinematography. Cause it, it doesn't have that, like the music that he would choose. It's got like the, that sort of like cheesy Chinese synth kind of like music that I think totally works in the context of this movie, but I could see why people kind of being turned off by it. Just like, I remember like actually with Michael Mann movies, like I used to kind of like kind of scoff at like the music in Manhunter. I thought it like really dated the movie, but now yeah. I've like re- I mean, I think also like tastes have really come around on that 80s sound and it's nowhere near as like, um, grading as I think it was, I think kind of in the late nineties. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, geez, the movie is just like, it's got a lot of re- great rewatchability. I mean, like there's like points like where I was kind of like doing, like when I usually watch like, a really good movie, there's like, I feel comfortable kind of like moving out of the room and do something else for a minute. Cause I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm just liking this movie so much. I don't, I'm not too worried about certain, like about missing anything. Cause I've seen it and mm-hmm. it's, it's comfort, it's a comfortable food. Uh, visual, it's a visual feast. <laughs> Fucking right. Yeah. You got that right, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other things? Nope. Good. I'm, All right. I'm good. Well, well, uh, that's the killer. And uh, we're just going to continue talking John Woo as we venture on forth to Hard Boiled.
抬头望星空一片静，我独行，夜雨渐停，无言是此刻的冷静。笑问谁？肝胆照应，风急风也清，告知变幻是无定。明明是我苦笑，却未停。不信命，只信双手去抚平。矛盾是无力去暂停，可会知我心里困倦满腔？夜阑静，问有谁共鸣？
And we're back, and we're talking hard-boiled. And first up, a hard-boiled synopsis. Ooh, girl. Officer Tequila Yuen, Chow Yun-Fat once again, and his partner Benny are on a gun smuggler case, and they are on recon at a tea house where I guess people in China get together to drink tea and let their pet birds socialize. But shit mm-hmm. goes awry when another gang shows up to blow away their competition with Chow uh, gun, his guns ablazing in the middle. Being a cop thriller, things don't end well for poor Benny as he winds up dead, and out of revenge, Tequila puts a bullet in the face of the gangster who killed Benny. This is all to the chagrin of Superintendent Pang, who wanted that gangster alive to testify. Tequila, in so many words, is off the case. Meanwhile, our other protagonist, a high-ranking assassin for the triads named Alan, played by Tony Young, um, works for the good triad boss, Uncle Hoy. We first meet Alan murdering a man in a public library, as good guys do, and we see him celebrated for being good at his job of killing people. Um, and we're, we get the feeling that Uncle Hoy and Alan, they, they seem like pretty okay dudes. Mm-hmm. Of course, we begin to pick up um, the gang rivalry between Uncle Hoy um, and the other guy uh, who attacked at the tea house. Uh, and the, that's headed by movie bad guy Johnny Wong, played by one of my favorite uh Hong Kong actors Anthony Wong. Um, One scene I'll mention is Tequila, pissed about what happened to his partner Benny, braces Johnny Wong on a public street, and Alan, who is making motions with Wong, feeds Tequila the butt of his gun but spares his life. What I like with that is uh, there's like this continuation of like the big uh, damage from that on a bandage on Chow Yun's head, and like Mm -hmm. he goes with that for like like several scenes afterwards, which is a real nice detail because usually. Guys are just fine after getting yeah. hit in the head with the butt of a gun. Um, so what winds up happening is in a bid to get closer to Johnny Wong, uh, Alan allows himself to go in deeper with Wong, which results in an unbelievable and savage raid on a warehouse front for weapons dealing and the making of sparks that Uncle Hoy runs. This climaxes with Alan having to mm. kill Uncle Hoy to prove his loyalty to Johnny Wong. After you think you've had all the action you could handle, fucking tequila comes from the ceiling, smoke grenade, and guns ablazing. One mm-hmm. of the questions answered twice is what wins the day motorcycle or shotgun tequila and alan come face to face just like in a john woo movie tequila's gun jams and alan just smiles and walks away and leaving tequila confused as to why he's left behind and not dead what alan's deal is and why tequila is still alive obviously signals to tequila that something is up and that alan is undercover but he's none too pleased with the fact that alan is killing dudes left and right and the brass are seemingly okay with that um mm-hmm. he tracks down alan to alan's sailboat just in time for uh remnants of uncle hoy's gang to attack and we get more splinter blowing mayhem and it seems tequila and alan are now on the same page and it's time for their team up uh, the final setup for the movie now is that uh, Johnny Wong has uh, Uncle Hoy's guns. He's taken over the gun uh, smuggling racket in uh, Hong Kong. The question, of course, is where all these guns are being kept because if, if the police can get those, they can shut them down. And mm-hmm. um, all this collides as information from an informant named Foxy uh, after being spared by Alan, which uh, means he has to get shot in the chest and tossed into the ocean. Um, but he's okay, folks, for a bit anyway. Um Foxy tells everyone or tells um, uh, Chow Yun-Fat the gun depot is at the nearby hospital. The last 40 minutes of this bad boy of a movie is just set up after set up for unmitigated carnage not seen in any John Woo movie outside of the end of maybe A Better Tomorrow 2. And you get love, betrayal, action, unlimited ammo, lots of babies, Mm. peeing babies, and a full array of coverage of what Mm. can happen to a man fully strapped up with squibs. Mm -hmm. Left and right. 
Um, yeah. So this movie, like the killer is also awesome. Um, I guess like for, I want to throw out a criticism of the movie. I mean, was it me or is the, like, was it obvious that Alan is like an informant, like pretty well from the get go? Yeah, kind of. Like, like, it, it, it's like I mean, okay, we live in a world where like uh, Infernal Affairs came out. Obviously, Hard Boiled came out like in 1992. The uh, Infernal Affairs trilogy came out like 15 years ago, and then The Departed, which is a remake of Infernal Affairs, remade mm-hmm. that. And I mean, we all kind of know about like cops on like undercover. Like at this point, I mean, there was Serpico, but I mean that movie's all about him, um, Donnie mm-hmm. Brasco and stuff. I mean, there's just certain things you're like, why are we following this one guy around? And I guess like it kind of maybe is playing off the whole idea of like the killer, that there is just an assassin who's like, a, can be a good guy. And maybe there's that aspect to it. But I mean, the whole thing with like the, um, the flowers and secret messages and stuff like that. Cause like, even when I watched this movie for the first time, like probably 99, 2000, uh, watching a VHS copy that my friend, uh, Corey had, um, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, Oh yeah, no, he's like, he's, he's a cop. He's undercover. <laughs> like I kind of just knew that. And I don't know if like the movie ever like cares about that aspect or we're supposed to feel like that. What did you think of yeah. that bit? Um, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think you can see that coming, but it didn't really, pull me out of it at all like kind of like you said where it's just a thing in cop movies now like with all those movies you named it's like yeah that's just it's just how some of them are Mm -hmm. it's just it's just a setup man so Um, no yeah it didn't really yeah i thought it was fine how how do you how do you feel about jazz rj uh i actually like jazz a lot okay uh, because i listen to it at work um, because when I'm like writing, uh, stuff, like writing papers and stuff, I can't really listen to like real or like normal music because, or modern music because the w- lyrics distract me. So I like to put on some, uh, some hard, aggressive sexual jazz and it just riles me up and I can go for minutes at a time at work. So, but yeah, Chow Young Fat's playing a, like a saxophone, which is pretty mm. fucking cool. And in uh, The Killer, he's playing a harmonica. So I guess John Woo just really likes to see Chow Young Fat like play different instruments. Yeah. Well, uh, did you know that was John Woo is the jazz bar owner in Hard Boiled? I, uh, I did. Uh, okay. I didn't know it was, but I, I put a note. I said, is that John Woo? Yeah. Um, he has a trademarked uh, freckles or something on his face that uh, give him away. So yeah. that's how I, that's how I spotted him. Yeah. I, I think like, cause I saw him and I was like, oh, that's, that's John Woo. Right. And I was like, yeah. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it's just like, he obviously he's looks older now, but he's, he's yeah. got that same hairline kind of round face. And, uh, it's like, that's, that's old JW. And face, um, face freckles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, same thing here, like with like the whole, um, Actually, this, the one thing I was thinking about with Seven Samurai as well was that uh, back when our conversation came around, like comparing like Seven Samurai and Magnificent Seven, when mm-hmm. we were talking about like how um, one of the things that's kind of lost in Magnificent Seven from Seven Samurai is like the difference between swordplay and gunplay and how yeah. um, how like there's like such an immediacy and like intensity with swords rather than guns that seven samurai Mm -hmm. capitalizes on and magnificent seven just doesn't um that's the opposite problem (laughs) there's like Mm -hmm. the 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 use of gun play is like kind of uh mastered by john boo um 
like I mean I guess like John Woo kind of goes along with like when you think about like action movies I mean John Woo's kind of the the name that goes along with that I mean that was like his Mm -hmm. career um that he became famous for but yeah I mean just like guys are getting shot left and right but there's like it's still like um what would you call it there's a strong style nature of like taking multiple shots and still getting up and walking around with it um which is just like it's great (laughs) well it's like i said like in a john woo movie you can get shot six times in the chest but you're you can still like walk like you're you're a little hurt you're stumbling but you'll be fine the only way to kill someone in a john woo movie is to fucking put 60 bullets in them or as seen in the warehouse uh scene uh, drive a motorcycle through your fucking body oh in the, my the coolest God. suit the, one of the coolest scenes in any movie that guy <laughs> fucking drives or he like hammers his motorcycle through a human being well, in- and like in the next scene you see it it's like lodged inside his body yeah, yeah no so. that that is just man that's yeah. the, that's the only way to kill someone yeah. in the, these movies yeah no that like that whole sequence is just like it's endless in a great way yeah. <laughs> like there's just like so many things that are just like keep getting tossed at you like this mm-hmm. like the the ways of guys like no, guys get killed like mostly the same way like they're getting shot to death but then they, they put little twists on things like no one guy dies exactly the same as another guy um and like when they start getting like a little bit more ambitious and hard-boiled where, like they're doing like the like profile shots of guys getting shot through man yeah. it's like because like other movies didn't do that I don't think like I don't I don't get the mm-hmm. sense that like I'm try, I try to think of stuff and I'm like no the first time I ever saw something like that was hard boiled, um, yeah. yeah no like this like I mean the killer and hard boiled are both like I mean those are like VHS staples of like the 90s for like once you like if you started watching like your Tarantinos and stuff like that you started uh, you, you started hearing about John Woo because I mean uh, God was ja- it's Jackie Brown Jackie Brown is. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Samuel Jackson's character talking about how everybody, all the guys he's selling guns to, they want 45s because the killer had a 45. They got to have a 45. And then we mm-hmm. also learned that 45s have a serious jamming problem. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Yeah. Sam knew. Sam knew. And Elmore Leonard wrote that. So um, right. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds cool. Um, Sa- and that's and that's good. what's important. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I started thinking about too is just like how like the, the action scenes in this movie are staged. Um, like, a year or so ago, I was kind of digging through some of the like Shaw Brothers, like Kung Fu martial arts stuff and mm-hmm. like how it wouldn't matter. Like, like the movies themselves are kind of just like connecting the dots to the next act- action sequence and like pretty well have like sort of the same priorities as John Woo movies do, like about just like loyalty and honor and whatnot and like manhood. Um, and so like basically these movies are just like a translation of that, but shifting from like period pieces to contemporary action movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the talking points that get brought up with these things too, are that like, it's like, oh, Hong Kong was a dangerous place at the time. And like, oh, there was like all this crime. And like, I don't know if the crime that was happening resembled that of John Woo movies. Cause that would be terrifying if that were the <laughs> <Yeah>. case. <laughs> well, like I said, that's kind of how it was. You go into a restaurant, get some Peking duck and you'd be lucky if you only got into one shootout. Yeah. Oh man. So. Oh, and you know, you've been there. He speaks true, yeah. man. Yeah. So yeah, there's like an interesting like kind of shift from like uh, like like filmmaking techniques of like presenting like uh sorry I guess the one thing I was getting at with the talking about the martial arts movies was that um like I'd be watching these and then um Chanel would walk into the room and kind of like stop and just start watching these action scenes and she'd be like really like caught up in it and saying wow these are really good I'm like I know like mm-hmm. they're like these action scenes are like they're really like working on making them like have some weight and some pacing and I mean John Woo was like 
taking those same techniques that he would have been learning shooting these like um these movies uh when with golden harvest and translating them to guns basically yeah. and then like making it work which is why guys get shot multiple times because it's like getting punched multiple times mm-hmm. um but like obviously uh, i don't think guys are getting quite as uh shot as many times as guys get punched in uh something like uh five element ninjas or something like those along those lines um maybe in your world yeah well there's uh, i mean w- what about the theme of dual wielding guns <laughs> and, sliding, yeah. and sliding down things and hitting accurately <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people think Halo 2 invented that, but no. no. Hard-boiled bra. Riding down those rails, mm-hmm. double pistols with seemingly impossible amounts of ammo. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you never question it. That's it's like, right. yeah, of course that gun would have 80 bullets. Yeah, uh, yeah there's also um, kind of like a Manhunter thing going on between these two movies where, like, mm-hmm. we both have, like, scenes where, like, the cops are kind of getting inside the mind of the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's like the Will Graham thing. Cause there's like the first one is in the killer where, um, uh, Lee Yang is like sitting in the chair when they've, uh, at, um, Ajong's house and he's just sitting in the chair and the camera pans in the same way over him twice. And it's like, we're, he's yeah. being transposed into, uh, uh, Ajong's mind. And then he pulls the gun in the same way. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> whatever it is, uh, this is my design. <laughs> and, and then yeah. we, we get that again in uh hard boiled too. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where it's like he's getting inside his head, and the at the library, yeah, at the library, that's the scene where he, does I, the, he, he knows exactly where to turn left, and like he finds yeah. the the Shakespeare Complete Works Volume Two and stuff like that, and I'm like, yeah, that's uh, that's some Will Graham stuff right yeah. happening. I think that's a bit of a, a stretch, but uh, that library scene's really funny because <laughs> there's like smoke machines going on in there, and you're like, man, libraries in Hong Kong are sure foggy, and uh, they, they well, they probably they could be. Yeah, well, there is a lot of smog in China. As you I can, know. I, I can attest to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's funny, that scene where uh, he pulls out that gun from the hollow book. I yeah. watched this movie with uh, my roommate, Scott, and uh, he was like, you know, man, he's like, I, I really wish I had a hollowed out book. He's like, I would just keep like Skittles in there or something so nobody can get at it. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you're fucking, you're right. It's like, because uh... you, if you work in a place like where we work, People are always after your goodies, man. So you need a little bit extra defense to that. So I thought that was pretty fun. So are you, what he said. So are you just talking about just like having some hollowed out books of candy in them, or are you actually going to start packing at work to defend those candies? I prefer not to say in case of any legal issues down the road. Yeah, just not incriminate ourselves here. Yeah, mm. uh, I do not endorse Skittles in any way, shape, or mm. form. Um, oh, uh, both films uh, also have imaginative uses for gunpowder in both of them, because in the killer mm-hmm. we have the scene where like you get and it's all lovingly done too, where a bullet is like uncapped and then like the gunpowder is used to uh, cauterize uh, the wound um, during a lull in action, and then here in Hard Boiled it's uh, used to blow that uh, circuit pad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, in the first one, it's because he's in love with him. Remember, that's why it's oh, it's explosive. So... It's the chemistry. Ah, Get it? Got it. Get yeah. It. Yeah. Oh, um, did you ever play Lethal Enforcers at all when you were growing up? I have no idea what that is. It sounds oh, weird. It was an it was an arcade game. Um, 
And there's like there's like the bit in Hard Boiled that I mean, even as like uh, when I was younger watching this, I was kind of like, wow, this is like exactly like a video game because there's like that two minute and forty second sequence. It's one continuous shot with mm-hmm. um with our two leads going through the hospital and just blowing guys away. And, yeah, okay. and there's a point where the camera gets kind of ahead of them and goes around the corner, and a guy literally just just hops up and goes ah, and it's mm-hmm. like oh, and then they just get shot dead. And it's like yeah. I, I was like I'm like oh yeah, it is lethal enforcers. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I know what you mean now. That that makes total sense. Or that, yeah, uh, that that whole like litany of like that game genre where it's like a rail shooter where you're just being kind of drug along and then mm-hmm. guys hop out and it's like, Oh no, they're uh, an innocent bystander. Don't shoot them. And then you get deduced mm-hmm. a point if you do hit them. Yeah. The that, police that, Academy style. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's funny. Uh, speaking of video games, when uh, the, like the, the tough guy who uh, my roommate called Chinese Charles Bronson. Are you talking about uh, oh, mad dog, mad dog? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in near the end when he's like, he gets that badass pistol that just takes like one bullet at a time. I was thinking yeah. of a uh, revolver ocelot from uh, the Metal Gear Solid games yeah. because it's just like a dude with like a real fancy gun, and it's just like it's it's so impractical. It's like one bullet at a time, like. But he made it work. He, and he oh, made it look man. cool. Every everything with Mad Dog in that movie is awesome, though. Yeah, Mad, he uh, fucking rules. Yeah, like I was looking him up because I think his name is. Um, I'm going to double check on it. I think it's like Philip Kwok. And he's like got quite the um, kind of filmography too. He was in a bunch of really cool stuff, like going back from the 70s and stuff like that. Like he's always just kind of like a background character. Um, right. But yeah, no, he like that scene where uh, him and um, Alan are having their face off in the hospital and they're just like shooting the shit out of each other and trying to get one up over the other one. And then mm-hmm. they comes to the point where they're uh, in that room with the like – uh, injured people and the nurses and whatnot and uh then he like they they put it on pause and then they like both gentlemanly uh put their like fight us to the side and like kind of slowly put their guns down and we're going to allow those people to get away and mm-hmm. then johnny wong shows up and says what the fuck and just mows them all down and uh yeah mad dog's expression at this like horrific act just like beyond like repair and just like that was like wow what a great moment even yeah, in, yeah, yeah, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was something. Oh, I loved that moment. Uh, I always mm. think about it. But yeah, yeah, Philip Philip Kwok. Yeah, some of the highlights uh, of his filmography is, are things like the story of Ricky, aka Ricky O. Um, the the same year that Hard Boiled came out, he was also in the the film The Cat from nineteen ninety two, which is also from the director of Ricky O, um, uh, Lam Nai Kai. Is how that's pronounced. And yeah, like okay. his like his career goes back. Like he's been in martial arts stuff, like all in the like in the seventies, like, uh, the five deadly venoms return of the five deadly venoms. Um, so yeah, he's, he's got a real mm-hmm. pe- uh, master of the flying guillotine, which is super good. Um, yeah, no, he's got quite the, uh, pedigree behind him. He's a cool dude. Philip Kwok, mm-hmm. the Chinese Charles Bronson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. I thought one scene was weird with him where, uh, he, when he's at the hospital and he like kills the, uh, informant guy. Yeah. And like he, he goes to the trouble of like, throwing the body down like the laundry chute to like get rid of it yeah. but there's like fucking blood everywhere <laughs> and it's like it's like it's like it, it's not gonna work man you can't do this inconspicuously anymore like yeah. there's so much blood fucking everywhere like i, I think just leave the body in the hallway yeah. at that point I, I think there's i think they were definitely aware of like the humor 
in that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's okay. like, it's so funny. Because it's like hilarious. Because like, what the hell has happened here? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. we're getting rid of the evidence. And it's just more of like, yeah, I got rid of the body. And then he moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's two things I just want to say, and then that's about all I got to say about hard boiled. Yep. Uh, one thing I think it's really fucking weird that Uncle Hoy just peels apples for other dudes. He's like, oh. like I get, I get that he's like this weird like, uh, he, like leader of the herd, like alpha lion or whatever. But he's like peeling these apples and just like feeding them to dudes. I was like, that's kind of weird. What did not um, didn't why are you are you telling me that like old Chinese men didn't try feeding you apples when you were well, overseas? Well, happened, but not not in that way. Like there wasn't like nine of me. Oh, uh, it was more intimate. Yeah, come on. Yeah, uh, over, that, over some gunpowder. Over some gunpowder, yeah. And then uh, one thing I think is just fucking hilarious, and one of the best parts in the movie is <laughs> when uh, Alan goes back to his uh, his houseboat, and he's like looking around. He's like, oh, something's up. And then, like, he turns and Chow Young Fat fucking floats into oh, the boat. Oh, man. It's like, it's such a weird, like, <laughs> scene. Like, because his body literally floats. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. jump. He does, he's not, like, just there. Like, he is flying. And it's fucking insane to see. So I thought that was really cool. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I just went back to my uh, um, review for a hard boiled. Uh, from several months ago and I wrote uh, I guess John Woo figured this might be his last chance before going to America to try and kill Chow Yun-Fat off once and for all and mm-hmm. uh, still be able to call it an onset accident um, because uh-huh. holy shit like could you imagine working on this fucking movie as like a stuntman or like a principal actor and just like the th- like goddamn like you watch like even the trailer for this movie and it's just like just the exploding like wood and material mm-hmm. just flying everywhere like i can't believe that like i don't know they probably have i don't know they probably have like maybe looser rules back in 1992 91 when they were filming maybe. this and they weren't like reporting to a union or whatever and maybe doing things a little like uh fast and loose but actually it's like after writing that i was watching the um one special feature on the dragon uh, dynasty uh blu-ray and there's an interview with John Woo mentioning how like they had just done a scene with like uh Chow Yun-Fat like running through some fire like some fi- like some um flammables had just gone off and like mm-hmm. Chow Yun-Fat's like god damn it he's trying to kill me here and then he turned <laughs> then then but then uh Chow Yun-Fat turns to him and goes oh how did it look and then like mm-hmm. i guess like he as he walked past after laughing that about that you could see like his hair had been burned <laughs> Oh god! And I'm like, oh, right, yeah, no, th- that's like all legit. And like, man, oh, there's no CGI in this, like, in either of these movies. Mm-hmm. There's none. There's not no. like, there's not one piece of bullshit. It's all real. They're using like all like practical stuff, and mm-hmm. you can tell. You can the feel of the whole movie is so different than like if how it would be made today. You'd have CGI blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um. You, there, there probably wouldn't even be real people at some points. It would just be like computer generated people, and like it'd be like, "Isn't this cool? We're we're gonna outdo hard boiled with CGI guys." And they would just start yeah. looking like like those Matrix Revolution movies with all of the Agent Smiths and stuff like that. And that's yeah. that's like what people want, I guess. Uh, those people are wrong, but uh, no, there's like to go with what you said there's a scene at the end when uh chow and fat's running with the baby in the hospital and you can t- and like all the rooms are exploding behind him and you can tell like it's not a stunt double it's actually him running away yeah. from all these explosions so yeah. i i uh i imagine that's the scene you were talking about 
Yeah, well, that was, oh man, it was like, yeah, when the uh, fireball started going off behind him, it's just like, mm-hmm. holy crap. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty fucking raw. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. It's hard, man. Yeah. Hard-boiled, um, raw, and uh, salad, too, yeah. I guess. Sal- Throw that in there. Salad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like, in this film, too, I mean, it, it, it demonstrates that, like, the, the manliness of shooting yourself in the stomach so as to make your assailant bend over with you, and then the other guy shoots his fucking eye through because mm-hmm. he's just that good. He's just that good, and that's a, a fucking awesome use of a prosthetic head. Yeah. It's wicked. Yeah. I, I just love, too, it's like it's like this idea, too, that like somewhere like in the script writing process or in directing, it's like, hey, you know, eye pupils look just like the bottom of a bullet. <laughs> And yeah. it's like, yeah, and it's like, well, that's well-observed. Good job, John Wu. I leave it to you to fix, suss that information out and uh, demonstrate it for all time in your film, which is uh, proudly, I think, uh, represented in the Criterion Collection, which I guess is to the chagrin of some people. Because, RJ, it this brings us to uh, a feature that we missed last week on A Night to Remember. Uh, mm-hmm. But I looked back, and there really wasn't that much hate on for, this, for that movie, but there is for our two films here under discussion. Uh Oh, okay. Well, we better just get it over with. Okay. It's like a band. Okay. So on letterbox, there was a season challenge thing called sex and Zen and a bullet in the head week earlier in the year. And it appears a bunch of people who are like partaking in it. They don't like action movies and they got to watch the killer. So there's a lot of like comments that like were pretty redundant. Like they were just like kind of saying the same thing. Like, Oh, I want a bunch of nerds. This is yeah. So, um, I don't know. It didn't. It's like I don't like action movies, and they all give the movie two stars because they don't like action movies. Uh, pretty. It, it pr- sounds. It pr- sounds like that guy that you were reading Amazon reviews from a while ago is like <laughs> not, I don't like westerns. Not interested. <laughs> not interested. One star. Uh All right. So, so yeah. So Chad S one hundred one gave uh, the killer two stars. For this week's challenge, I wanted to ch- uh, watch Chung Young or uh, Chung King Express, but I could not find that movie anywhere, and I had to go with The Killer as an alternative. After the first two acts, I was thinking this movie was a good choice. It had that '80s vibe, but it and it but it but it had a decent plot and a good amount of action. <laughs> what? Okay. So I guess that '80s vibe is a bad thing. If this, not in my books, man. If, if this movie hit the landing or had a decent ending, I was thinking three-star movie at worst. Well, the third act not only missed the landing, it crashed and burned in a spectacular way. The third act just got strange, turning into a nonsensical bromance and includes some of the worst dialogue in movie history. Worst dialogue in movie history may be an understatement, so the worst dialogue since the spoken word originated is probably more accurate. Jesus. Yeah. So, this guy's getting a little heavy with that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I was going to say some, if we should have some real talk here about like, do you have the problem when you watch a movie about like what your letterbox star review is going to be? Uh, there are, I'll admit there are certain occasions where I'm watching a movie and I, I totally get distracted in the middle and I'm just like, what am I going to rate this fucking thing? And it pulls me out of it sometimes. But if that happens, it's usually like, it either means that I'm not that interested in the movie or I like it so much that I, or I like it a lot, but there are like flaws to it yeah. that I like. I, I'm like torn. So it does happen to me a few times, but, you know, yeah, I you mean, get, you push through. Yeah, I've like I've listened to, like I've seen like on some people, they just they refuse to rate things. And I think it's yeah. sort of like a 
I, I kind of get that idea too. Cause it's like a weird throwback to like the strange thing of like Roger Ebert's like thumbs up, thumbs down. And then like in like the newspaper world, being able to like reduce your feelings about a movie to like stars and like yeah. four stars or whatever being like the top or whatever. And it's just like, it's so like, it reduces people to like every viewing experience to like a consumer experience. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, but like when I read people talk about it, well, I think this was almost a three star movie, but now it's a two. <laughs> it's just like, Oh, come on. Like, don't talk like that. Yeah. Like I can't take you seriously. Petty. Um, so, uh, a fella named auteur rated this film two stars. Mm. Squibs the movie. I almost wish I stayed away, but the list of shame beckons. The action sequences are thrilling and near operatic in their intensity and duration, but there is so much laughably bad and wrong in the killer, and it is so very trapped in the 80s, there is no way I can appreciate it as the classic so many others see it as. First, there's the god-awful score that sounds like it was lifted from 80s rom-com montage sequences. Then there's the incessant dialogue consisting of nothing but meaningless platitudes. Occasionally, those two happen simultaneously, like the scene out in the field where Chaoyun Fat and Danny Lee wax nonsensical about justice and the nature of men, and I literally expected them to start making out. Women don't fare too well either. I get that this is a boys club movie, but does the female lead have to be in hysterics the entire time? I don't think I've ever seen a more consistently helpless and belittled bullied female character in my life where the blindness that young fat causes actually used to facilitate scenes where she is lied to for her protection. Whatever. And let's not forget the endless abuse of slow motion. The killer doesn't quite take the crown from Zack Snyder's 300 as the most annoying use of the technique, but it's certainly Uh no less ridiculous. I hated Mission Impossible 2 for its slow motion, so why should this film get a pass? Sure, the film is interspread with brilliant moments of action, but for every one of those that there's a moment like the boat chase where the bad guys are not sure which beach Young Fat landed on, huh? But of course, there are the hundreds of near point-blank shots at our hero that are complete misses. The killer is cheesy, half-ass, chauvinistic bullshit, and now that I've seen his calling card, I'm convinced John Woo is a director who should only be... <gasps> a fart? Brought in for the money shots. Uh, gross well i don't i don't understand like like all these people are like oh it's like 80s and stuff like that it's like well yeah it's a movie from the fucking 80s like what do you expect not everything is like timeless but like i don't know i i always see that as like a positive to movies when they're dated in their time as long as it's not like maybe like say a comedy where the comedy like all the jokes are dated to like current events at that time or something like that like Mm -hmm. like score and stuff like that i think it's it's nice to see stuff like that and it seems like like for both of those bad reviews that you just read it's like both of those people are like yeah there's really good scenes but i just don't like it so like that's yeah that's that's basically what they both say they're like yeah there's really good stuff but i don't like it well it's it's unforgivable yeah it seems like they're like wanting they don't want to like it because yeah. like they, yeah sure it might be like some of the b- most brilliant action scenes ever committed to celluloid but thumbs down <laughs> like i don't like 80s movies and it's like well what the f- like that's not how you watch, should be watching movies um so I think on, they're lying to themselves uh, yeah oh 100 percent. and it's so sad they're making it available all online for our mm-hmm. perusal and reading on a podcast that they don't know about house yes. haze on uh hard-boiled two stars Nothing more than an action flick. Was expecting way more. Just shoot 60 fucking bullets before you even reload. The fuck? 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, uh, man. And then Ben DeBono, two stars. On the plus side, I suppose I liked it better than the killer. On the negative side, it's a cliche-riddled snooze fest. Criterion made some weird choices in the early days, allowing two dumb and dull action movies in their first 10 DVDs just might take the cake. I'll take his cake. You know what I mean. Shove it in his face. I I wonder what his favorite Criterion collection movies are. That's one day maybe we'll find out. One day maybe we'll uh, cross paths with uh, Ben and he can tell us how it really is. The Sixth Man starring Marlon Wayans. I bet that's his favorite movie. Well, uh, would you like to know what Ben's uh, favorite films are? Late on me. All right. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, Andre uh-huh. Rublev, The Life Aquatic, and Ordinary People. Uh, well, 2001 and Life Aquatic are on there because he's heard other people talk about those movies. Uh. So he just, I think he's just putting up a show, putting on a fancy shirt. I, I doubt he really likes that fucking, or either of those. Well, you know, uh, I think actually when I was like seeing what uh, those other people's reviews, uh, what they also liked for their favorite films, I think they also had Wes Anderson movies. And mm-hmm. what I'll say is I love Wes Anderson movies, but see, I think like Wes Anderson fans can be kind of toss pots. <laughs> Like, uh, some of them are a little assertive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, he sure. also really likes my dinner with Andre and gives that movie five stars. Um, of course he does, which, which we'll, we'll watch that movie someday down the road. Is that on the, that the is, list? That is in the, that is on the criterion creeps way down the road, way, way down the road. A little uh, Louis well, mall. I don't have to worry about it now though. No, you'll be dead by then. In China. We all will. In China, in China, eating apples in the lap of old men. Ugh, don't fucking remind me. Well, okay. Any well, any parting thoughts? Any any feelings? No, I just think the people who say they don't like these movies are uh, either they, they just want to say they don't like it to be like contrary when they actually do or they feel they don't or... They're just shitty fucking people, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know, I didn't." Know. Or like the one guy is like, "Oh, it's 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 not above or it's below my taste." It's like whatever, man. Just just enjoy good things. Like I I, I just don't know what more you want, like or what kind yeah. of like if you just don't like action movies, I'm like okay, I I guess, um, but no, it's yeah, whatever. It's I mean, it's I, fine. I mean, I don't but. like I. For the most part, like I find most action movies like not particularly great, I guess, because that's pretty true of like most genres. <laughs> like most mm. most genre movies, like most horror movies, aren't very good. But the really good ones are really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of how it works, yeah. I think. Um, well, we'll find them one day. We'll make them pay. <laughs> sure will. Yeah, we're we're really doing doing well by like uh, action fan reputations by like threatening people who don't like action movies. <laughs> What else are you supposed to do to get an audience? Well, we're li- just living up to our uh, names. We're, we're the creeps, guys. There you go. Well, and I'm just going to say that if you don't like The Killer or Hard Boiled, we feel sorry for you. Yeah, it's I too wish... bad that you can't just, you know, find some joy and, you know, good men, things. Men yeah. being reduced to pulp by pulp. gunfire. Because And if not, then what are we even doing here, man? What, What's the point? What the hell are we doing mm-hmm. here? 
Right. Oh, you know, I, I've got one more bonus here. I just got to read it. This is a Uh-oh. this is a one star review for Hard Boiled. The cheesy action, the constant saxophone, the terrible dialogue. I'm sorry, internet. Have I missed something? Maybe it's just one of those films that is so far removed from my preferences that it's hard to see any good in it. Is it one of those that people liked ironically? That's just trolling. Mm. That that's just complete. yeah. I think if. For someone to say that stuff, it's not that it's like, I don't get it. Like, there's nothing to get. It's just like, (laughs) there's nothing to get about these movies. There's no secret charm to them. They're just, it's well done stuff. Like, don't, don't be an ass. And one of his favorite films, I assume it's a man, could be a woman. I don't know. Juke. Mm Mm-hmm. Grand Budapest Hotel. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Oh, here's a review for Into the Wild. Uh, Half Star. Utterly disgusting. Probably the worst film I've ever seen. I wanted to yell "fuck off" at the screen the whole way through. Does yep? D- does he know that 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 really happened? Uh, does he know that? I guess he doesn't like me. He has some issues with Sean Penn. He needs to talk it out. Tweet it. Tweet, he. We recommend you tweet Sean Penn and work it out. You two, come on. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. I'm well, done. All right. Yeah. Me too. Uh, fuck this. You ruined me. Yeah. You're Um, worse than that chick with the honey and the coffee. So long, John Woo. Um, It was great watching your movies again. uh, Mm -hmm. It's always a pleasure uh, watching how action could be done, um, how to be men, um, Mm -hmm. how to, I don't know. Yeah. Just how to, how to live. How to live, man. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. That's it for John Woo, RJ. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it was a, a real woo. That <laughs> yep. doesn't make any sense. Wow. Terrible. Whoops. Terrible. <laughs> um, oh, well, whatever. Well, and if it wasn't so terrible for you, listener, you can follow us on Twitter at Criterion Creeps. You can email us at CriterionCreeps at gmail.com. Facebook page, facebook.com slash Criterion Creeps. There's criterioncreeps.tumblr.com. Instagram. We love Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Letterboxd. If you can't wait to see what we're talking about next, just follow Jared Duncan or RJ at Barnloaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hosted on SoundCloud and we are on iTunes and on Stitcher. Uh, subscribe and rate us and give us reviews and comments. We want them all. 
We'll uh, read them on air. Yeah, exactly. That's like, yep. I mean, with our baritones, I mean, it'll sound amazing when we say mm-hmm. it. It'll um, sound awesome. Yeah. Wing. And next week, RJ, it's walkabout time. And uh, the listeners are in for a rare treat because they're going to hear me go into in detail about what I really think about Nick Rogue's seminal walkabout. And for what might be the only time in the in, in the duration of this podcast, uh, we will cover a movie that I refuse to watch. Why? Tune in next week, I guess. Um, that's Nick Rogue, 1971. And that'll be on episode nine. Spine number 10, because we're diverging. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll see. Yeah. Good night. Mm-hmm. Peace.